0: Roll podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Roll On, where the Twitter to my Instagram, the LinkedIn to my YouTube, the Microsoft Word to my Google Docs. Mr. Adam Skolnick and I. Wait, wait. Why am I Why into... am I Twitter, LinkedIn, and Microsoft? Because <laughs> <laughs> because I'm the one who wrote that. That's why. I'll take
1: it. Are you more LinkedIn or YouTube? Uh, do I watch more YouTube or cl- no. check LinkedIn? What do more? you
0: self-identify
1: with? Oh, self-identify. Which platform? Friendster. If
0: you, if, if a platform was a person, who are you? If a platform
1: Friendster. were a person, I am not an Excel spreadsheet. I can tell you that.
0: Yeah, is that a platform? That's an app. <laughs> I don't know. All right, let's Spotify. not get bogged down. Spotify. <laughs> Spotify. Okay. Um, we are here, back in the lime green chairs, to banter across. An admittedly absurd long table to mm. dissect matters niche, trivial, and vital across a spectrum of our whimsical curiosities. Today, I've got a couple of cool announcements. We're gonna recap some behind the scenes on recent episodes, which is a new little feature we're gonna test out. Uh, we're gonna share, as always, a few highlights from the subculture of endurance. We're gonna impart some truths and lessons learned from 10 years of hosting this podcast. Uh, we're going to recommend some high quality content we've been enjoying. We're going to answer a few listener questions and probably go off on a few random tangents along the way. But first, hey everybody, like me, Inside Tracker wants to help you start the new year right. So they're thrilled to help support the Living Proof Challenge, the no cost, science-based habit-building program designed by my well-being wizard brother, Simon Hill, to specifically up-level the most important biomarkers that drive health span, that drive disease prevention, physical fitness, and mental well-being, courtesy of a doable, evidence-based 12-week program elaborated upon in length in my conversation with Simon that dropped January 1, that's RRP 804. If you listen to that episode, then you know the program entails comprehensive blood testing at both the commencement and conclusion of the challenge and nobody handles blood testing better than Inside Tracker who are graciously encouraging everyone to join the no cost challenge by offering a 25% off discount on Inside Tracker tests to unlock the discount and learn more about this challenge visit theproof.com/livingproof and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for a proper recovery and function. Momentus products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentus.com slash roll. For twenty percent off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products, that's L I V E M O M E N T O U S dot com slash richroll for twenty percent off. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink, and I devoted That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. How goes it, fine sir?
1: Oh, you're uh, typing. Am I on? Yeah, I you're was typing.
0: To- <laughs> are you typing? We're <laughs> recording right uh, now. Are we live? The typing was supposed to happen before Is this thing we, on? Started- <laughs> we started recording. Uh, sorry, guys. We're off to an incredible
1: start. Um, I'm still hot. Yeah. I'm still sweltering hot. I- you know how like you go for a run and you come back and you sweat for another like, for almost as long as the run. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sweating for like three hours after every.
0: It's, uh, it's downright tropical out there. There's a wave of humidity that is yeah. unprecedented in my, I don't know how many years I've lived here since 1996. Yeah. I don't ever remember. I mean, we just, Endured like a heat wave that was pretty epic. This is
1: the last day of it, I think, of, it's 10 you know
0: 110 plus every single day. Oh, yeah. And what was unique about that was it didn't cool down at night. Wow. Like usually the, the desert here, even when it's super hot during the day, it'll still go down at night. Didn't do that at all. It was like 90 degrees at like one in the morning. And then we had a little bit of rain and that brought upon us like this, this humidity, which yeah.
1: feels like we're in Hawaii or the East Coast is even, very even further south. It's yeah, like full strange. tropical. I was running at night. I was running. Uh, you're Doesn't trying, matter. Yeah, it didn't matter. I was trying trying different things, but um, I'm not really one of those people that complains about weather. I don't like people who complain about. Are weather. you sure about but that? Here I am. Here you go. Like, here I am yes. complaining about the weather.
0: When you have an opportunity to do it on a large platform. You're gonna take advantage of that <laughs> and complain about the heat, aren't you? Cause but that's what everyone wants to hear. It,
1: it, it is, it has been warm. Yeah, it has. Um, sorry guys, I didn't have- Is a, that all that's going on with you? A funny intro. Um, What's going on with me? No, I, things have been good, busy, working hard on some projects I can't tell you about right now. Right, but, when uh, is that gonna change? <laughs> that's generally the case. Like
0: I'm doing all this cool stuff and we can't
1: talk about it. Pretty soon. Good. Yeah. Maybe like. Five six weeks we can talk about some Mm, of it, Um, but so that's been good. The family's well, no real complaints. Looking at all, I can. My one my one complaint is that I've been trying to look. We're we're beyond the weather. Beyond the weather. My second second complaint. We're trying to figure out uh, travel stuff. And I'm, I'm I'm stunned at how expensive like renting crappy condos can be in Hawaii these days. Have you yeah. have you seen? Well, that?
0: everybody's back to traveling. Is that you what know, it is? So everything is at a premium
1: now. Yeah. So um, you know, so now that I'm now that we're coming out of this tunnel of work, we're trying to figure out a way to to fly around again. So hopefully next year there's more travel content in my life. Mm. Uh, but otherwise, good. Been watching a lot of tennis. Can we talk about the tennis?
0: We can, I didn't watch any of it, although I know it was
1: fire, the US oh, Open, but
0: I was too busy to tap into it too deeply.
1: Carlos Alcaraz, Carlitos, the youngest number one player in the mm-hmm. history of men's tennis. He won the US Open. He's been kind of this guy that we that, that people who watch tennis have, have said, this could be finally the young guy that's as good, or is on his the same trajectory as the the big three, right? We we know Novak and Rafa and mm-hmm. Roger Federer, um, and all the young guys that have come up have always hit against that glass ceiling of those three guys. They couldn't get through them. Um, this guy, Alcaraz, earlier the, in the year, his, his third tournament he won, he had to go through Novak and Rafa, two days in a, like two days in a row, right. and then he won a tournament against uh, Zverev, another highly ranked player um and this time though there Rafa got beat by Francis Tiafo who's was mm-hmm. the best american in this tournament and is one of the best americans around um a little bit older than Alcaraz Alcaraz is 19 Tiafo I think is 24 and they had an epic epic five set match and i found it interesting because they have kind of like parallel stories in a way Alcaraz Carlos Alcaraz was was uh raised around a tennis center his grandfather helped found and build Francis Tiafo was raised at a tennis center, the tennis center at College Park right in Maryland. In suburban Maryland, tennis. Yeah. His father, his parents immigrated in the 90s from Sierra Leone when it was like civil war. And they came to the DC area and uh, Tiafo's dad, Constant, I believe is his name, was one, of the, was one of the construction workers building that tennis center. And he worked so hard and was the best worker that they ha- asked him to stay on as maintenance for the whole facility. And so he lived there five days a week. They lived in a, a back office and he lived with his two sons. And Francis would was, was seen hitting balls against the wall right. one day and these coaches found him. And they basically within a few years, by the time he was 14 years old, he was the number one junior in the history, number one junior in America. Yeah,
0: it's such a cool story. Yeah,
1: and so I just was thinking about how it's very Gladwellian, you know, like, like the polarities. Yeah, but they both basically had the same access. Mm-hmm. You know, one required, you know, one was like a little more traditional. If your grandfather runs a tennis center, it makes sense that you would. The other one is kind of seems more good fortune. But mm-hmm. in the end, that doesn't matter to the kid. Right. The kid's still there without all that access. Yeah,
0: access. It's okay. sort of like the yeah, like this like the Gladwellian story. about, was he the one who told the story about Bill Gates exactly having that. access it's exactly to the mainframe? Yeah,
1: right. It's exactly yeah. that. I mean, obviously you have to have the hunger, and they both did. And it was an amazing match. It's worth seeing if you haven't seen it. It's a long one. It's five setter. Yeah. But Carlos went through three matches kind of like that, and then got to the final, and is. Just a, a, a magnificent athlete. It
0: does so. feel like the ushering in of a new era, though. You hope so. But at people. the same
1: time, Novak couldn't come right? because he mm-hmm. didn't get vaccinated. So he wasn't allowed in the country and Rafa lost. So if Novak's there, does he Who knows? defend the, the glass ceiling? Right. Well, yeah. that will, you know, when that tete a tete happens, it'll make for must watch tennis. Yeah. But anyway, enough about my. My television watching of tennis. <laughs> okay. How are you? What's going on? What's oh, the, latest? the
0: humidity, Adam. <laughs> I'm going to complain about <laughs> the heat. That's on here. No, sorry, I was just distracted by all the sea monsters on your shirt.
1: Yeah, this is not <laughs> a good shirt for the video, right? <laughs> video, they want just plain. What? You, what? Stuff. What
0: kind of paisleys?
1: Crustaceous. Oh, these sea life is that? Well, this is something I discovered in the um, the waters out in Point Doom, and I, because I discovered it, I got to name it. And this is the richiest, rolliest I jellyfish. I thought it was gonna
0: be some kind sort of Skolnickian. All right, um, okay, uh, I'm good. You know, I don't know what to tell you. How's
1: your How's your back, you've it's, been exercising it's, more.
0: It's not amazing, but it's tolerable enough that I can get out there and do some zone one and some zone two stuff as yeah, long as right. I don't push it too much. So I've been out on the bike with some regularity, which has felt really nice. Yeah. Um, You were running too, doing some trails? Uh, Like more like hiking with a little bit of jogging to test things out. And that definitely ended up with some tightness back there. So I'm trying to be really cautious about that, but at least I'm getting out there and feeling good. Um, Yeah, I don't know, everything's good, man. My boys, my older boys uh, and their band Blood Ocean is out on tour right now. They're going up and down the West Coast. Nice. Which is really fun to see them finally take their music on the road and play these little venues and That's
1: cool, You know, man. visit
0: these cities and do the whole you know jam into a van thing, Phenalo. which is pretty cool. So Groupies, I'm getting bro. some cool reports from the road. Um, shout out to uh, friend of the pod and friend in real life Jesse Thomas and Lauren Fleshman who opened up their guest house to. Oh my boys and their bandmates when they played in Bend the other night, which was really cool. So they've been, you know, they played in Portland last night. I think they're going up to Seattle. They're gonna be in San Luis Obispo. I've shared their tour schedule. Maybe I'll share it again. I love what you wanna. posted and
1: they they sound yeah. fabulous. Yeah, they're doing good. So Are that's, they, been, uh, that's been cool. Have I'm there been a groupie yet? Is there one groupie? I don't know. They don't tell you? No. <laughs>
0: I've been getting reports on the road, you know, like the the slow disasters and the highlights and the low like you know, they play a show and nobody shows up right. or you know, there was the uh, the venue in San Francisco that, you know, basically wasn't going to pay them and like all that kind of stuff. I was awesome. like, "Good, that's the way it's supposed to be." Like yeah, yeah. Having
1: that real life experience. You got to go through it. You know? Are they I did they destroy Jesse and Lauren's home? Like, you know, like, real rock, not. Stars? like not. real rock stars. Hopefully not. Like real rock stars throw like a rager <laughs> party back there and just like paint the walls.
0: Hopefully not. Okay, good. <laughs> I cautioned them <laughs> and explained to them that they had to acquit themselves as gentlemen. So, oh, hopefully, gentlemen rockers. Um, they seem like gentlemen rockers. They are, they're very solid young men. Aww. Super proud of them. Um, couple announcements uh, before we get into it. The first thing is, uh, well, I should say that, you know, this podcast is slowly moving away from being a free diving podcast to an Anvil free Ooh. promotional
1: fan. Speaking of less gentle rockers.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, So for all of you that caught the last roll on, you'll remember the story that I shared about my friend, Sasha Gervasi yeah. and the improbable story behind his documentary, Anvil, the story of Anvil, one of the greatest rock docs of all time which uh, is being re-released next week in 200 theaters across the United States, 13 years after its initial run. So, it's a really cool thing. Uh, We're recording this on Monday, but two days from now, and um, before (laughs) this podcast will actually air September 13, the movie is premiering in New York City, which will be last night, if you're listening to this podcast right after it posts at uh, the Angelica and it's an event that was hosted by Sasha and Peter Dinklage who starred in Sasha's HBO movie, My Dinner with Irve. That's cool. Um, so you guys
1: missed that, but I wanted to let he you know. He also starred in something called Game of Thrones. He did, yeah. You <laughs> might, might, might know that.
0: Him. <laughs> yeah. But I'm trying to connect why why Peter would be <laughs> yes. you know co-hosting Sasha's yes. <laughs> premiere yes. in New York, yes, because they work together. Yes. In any event, I get you. Um, but for all of you Los Angelinos, Los Angelinos, yeah. uh or for anybody contemplating a trek to the City of Angels. Uh, allow me to entice you because Anvil will be premiering the newly restored and mastered print in Los Angeles on September 23rd at the Saban Theater. And I wanted to offer up to you guys, the audience, two free pairs of tickets for the screening, which will include a not to be forgotten, I promise you live Anvil rock show. Like you've never seen anything like these guys rocking out. Uh, after the screening, that's going to happen, and that's going to be hosted by friend of the pod and, and real life friend Stevo, who I believe is going to be doing a Q and A with Sasha and nice. the band. And there's going to be some other yet to be disclosed uh, super special guests that I'm forbidden from mentioning really? at this moment. So that's pretty pretty cool. I mean, Sasha wanted uh, you know wanted me to help you know kind of open it up to you guys. So to enter, you can, to enter to win these tickets, you can send an email to giveaway at richroll.com. Uh, please send that in before September 18th and put the word Anvil in the subject line. And we'll select the winners at random on September 19th. Uh, in the meantime, if you wanna just buy tickets to that event, you can do that as well. It's just Anvil, I think it's Anvil the band. Oh, anvilthefilm.com. Um, Blake, if you could just pull up that uh, screen for everybody to see. Who's these special guests are these
1: potential music, like other musicians that might share the stage. Yeah, maybe. All right. Maybe.
0: Um, yeah, anvilthefilm.com. So you could just buy tickets and, and go to this uh, premiere screening. I'm gonna be there. We're probably gonna do a meet and greet. It's gonna be super fun. Uh, Saban Theater, so I never out. knew
1: it was Saban. I always thought it was Steve Saban. Saban, no, I yeah. think it's Saban. Yeah, I think you're Pretty right. sure.
0: How are you, an Angelino,
1: and you don't know that? I didn't. Uh, I missed that. Anyway, you,
0: you missed the memo on that. <laughs> I missed the memo. Um, the second the second announcement I want to make is that uh, some of you may remember, longtime listeners will, will remember that towards the end of last year we released a special episode called "Prophets Walk Among Us: Stories from Our Listeners," which was an entire episode that was devoted to sharing voice messages sent in by all of you guys. Uh, it was one of our most unique and impactful episodes to date. Really proud of that. It was just a beautiful uh, thing, putting that together and sharing it with everyone, just a total joy to produce. If you haven't heard it, I recommend adding it to your queue immediately. And it was so meaningful to us and to everyone who listened and reached out that we're gonna do it again. So, if you're willing to participate, uh, please consider sharing with me your personal journey of transformation, how the podcast and its many guests have inspired you. And maybe some things about what you've learned, you've practiced, you've you've implemented or shared with others along the way. And in other words, like how has the show served you in your life? How has it benefited you? How has it orientated you, inspired you to reframe your vision of family, of work, your sense of self? Uh, And we're gonna take those messages and compile a portion of the submissions into the next edition of this listener focused format. So, if you're keen to participate, you can leave your story on a special voicemail that we've set up. So, call 805-421-0057 and uh, we look forward to hearing from you.
1: Yeah, and if I've helped you in any way, don't hold back, put it all out there. Yeah, We we need to hear about it. (laughs) I want want messages all about Adam. I think that would be great. If I've done anything for you at all, even if it's negative, I wanna hear about it. Put it on the voice. Are you sure about that?
0: (laughs) All right, cool. Yeah, again, 805-421-0057 and we'll put that uh, voicemail number in the show notes as well. Yeah,
1: that sounds cool.
0: Can't wait for that one. Let's do this thing. where we kind of recap some of the most recent episodes. What I, should I know. We call it? I know that I don't know. Well, maybe they can leave that on the voicemail the too. The re, that's already Bill Simmons' thing. He has a recapper. Re, well, he has the rewatchable. Right. This wouldn't be the rewatchable. No. The, re, the re-listen. I don't no, know. The behind the scenes. I don't know. Well, yeah. let's not debate that now. Okay. In, in other words, this is not the time to work. What I want to do is, you know, there there are podcasts out there that kind of recap the episode that you've just heard by sharing a little behind the scenes thoughts. Uh, and they generally do that in the intros or the outros of the respective episodes. We don't do that or have not done that historically, but no. my sense, my spidey sense is that maybe some of you out there might enjoy a little bit of storytelling around some of the guests. So we thought that 100%. we would do that here and see how it goes. So since we last sat down, Adam, where there's been three episodes, can yes. write out episode, Gabor Mate and the one that just went up today, Max Fisher. Um, I don't know. We can start with Ken Rideout. Although you didn't, you haven't listened to that one. You don't actually listen to the show, do you? <laughs> Wait, what, what?
1: This, is, this is this has changed. So this this is I don't know how this here. is going to go. <laughs> I do listen to the show. I know you do, but um, not every. You're the busy. problem with me is I don't commute, and. Uh, mm. So my podcast listening has to be very Elitist. strategic. Elitist. I don't commute and, and they say, you're not supposed to listen to podcasts in front of young children, infants and mm. toddlers. Did you they know that? say that? Did no, they I didn't know that.
0: that. Why is that? Because you're, you're distracted from it's, giving it's your just, full it's attention. Just,
1: that's not a great way for language for them to pick up language. And it's mm. like disassociated talking. And it's not like- Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't so know they, that. They, well, that's the stuff when you read the, these child, early childhood development, Kind of materials. Mm. That's one thing that has come out, uh, but that's convenient that's, excuse. That's not a great <laughs> excuse. But Ken Rideout, I'm very familiar with because I think we talked about him before when Futterman's story came up, and you right. were talking about that you wanted to get him on. So I am familiar with his story. Um, you know, like that he he was a, a corrections officer that and hit Wall Street and then and went nuts and 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 then after that had kind of a, an addiction. Issue right that kind of almost submarined his entire life, and now is the fastest marathoner over fifty. Yeah, it's a crazy story. Yeah.
0: I mean everything that he overcame to be the person that he is is super inspiring, and I think his story kind of hits on the real sweet spot of this podcast, which are these personal stories of of transformation, overcoming obstacles and odds to you know accomplish something laudatory. Uh, and his is very powerful as is his his you know sort of command of telling the story too, and mm. you know he's got this totally nuts backstory. Uh, you know what he overcame is immense, and it was funny. Like I was sort of intimidated to meet him because right. he's, he's a super like at least at least how I you know what I was sort of projecting onto him was that he would be super alpha and like.
1: Macho, difficult
0: macho. to yeah, and he wasn't like that at all. He was a really sweet guy, and that episode really connected, and his stuff blew up as a result, and he was on the receiving end of like a lot of you know attention as a result that's awesome and he was so grateful and he was so um like almost you know emotional in his kind of overwhelm with you know the the response to that, which was really sweet, and it just made me realize like. There's lots of guys out there with tough guy exteriors and a lot of them don't have what Ken has which is this this huge heart. like to me that's the differentiator. like he really is a sensitive soul who cares deeply about other people and in a way that um, you know not that not that other people don't do that, but there's a way that he wears it on his sleeve. right it's accessible. Yeah, he's like very vulnerable with his emotions around mm-hmm. that. Um, which you don't often find with guys that are you know kind of tough guys or grew up in tough circumstances. Right. There was one cool story that we didn't get to in the podcast uh, that maybe I can share now, which was that when Ken was a corrections officer, I guess I'm not supposed to call call it a prison guard, although I think that's the term he used. But I got in trouble because I well, used right. prison so guard
1: uh, and I, 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 corrections
0: I, officer is the correct.
1: I did a story on prison reform, reform once. Oh, you did. And I had a copy editor look at it and the copy editor inserted typos, but (laughs) tried to tell me not to use the term prisoner. And so basically he wanted to call prisoners incarcerated persons. Uh And so the copy editor changed all prisoner references to incarcerated persons. And that made like that created typos and like really bad sentences. And so I'd have a negotiation to call them. How long ago was that? Um, it would be 2017, mm-hmm. when I, I think 2018. So you can't use the word prisoner anymore. Prisoner you can't use, even though they're residents of a prison, you can't use prisoner. Even though I wasn't suggesting they belonged in prison, right. I was saying they are prisoners.
0: But you can call it a prison, that's okay. That's my point. Is Incarcerated a, person facility. I don't know, I
1: didn't get the memo yeah. this week. There should be like a, a white paper that comes out every <laughs> Monday. Know. Like these are the words that are allowed. Oh, these words are back. Okay, I can use <laughs> yeah. these words again. But these words are out. Yeah, it's a yeah. uh, so cor- corrections officer.
0: Corrections officer.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but when he was a corrections officer, yes. he actually worked with
1: Mickey Ward, who- Who was also a corrections officer?
0: I guess so, okay. yeah. and you know you, people if that name sounds familiar it might be because he was the boxer who was played by Mark Wahlberg in the movie The Fighter mm-hmm. with Christian Bale who played um who played Mickey's half brother Dicky Eklund. yeah that movie being directed by David O Russell which was Mickey an incredible film um Great movie. and and i think that i think it's probably fair to say that that movie was an accurate depiction of the type of environment in which you know, Ken grew up in.
1: You grew up South that, Boston.
0: Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know exactly the neighborhood in Boston, yeah. um, but you know, basically, you know, pretty, pretty chaotic and and rough and tumble. Yeah. Um, and I just think you know, I'm I'm so glad that people uh, enjoyed listening to him and hearing his story. To me, he's an example of like a healthy alpha male. Mm-hmm. You know, a solid role model for young men and older men too. Yeah. Or maybe all people. Whether we're in corrections or not. All people. All (laughs) incorrectly
1: That's true. Um, Um, It's cool, man. And I I love stories like that. Yeah, yeah, Any story. And I love,
0: like, what people ask me all the time was who's your favorite guest? And, you know, I can't say there is a favorite guest, but I think I do have a sweet spot for you're not a guest, you're a co host. Okay, right. Right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you being all indignant over there. Um, it's these stories of personal transformation, I think, that are 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 kind of the the bread and, butter. The bread and vegan butter. Well, of, it's funny the that show. these
1: three that we're gonna talk about are all three of the kind of pillars that you bring that you've always brought out, which are these kind of underreported, amazing stories of transformation that are instantly inspiring and can inspire transformation in others. Uh, doctors that kind of look at the medical world with a more critical eye and have a different take necessarily than the mainstream medical mind and then uh, the book that we're going to talk about at the end and and you know like you're sitting down with an author and going full Terry Gross I mean mm-hmm. I think that that's what makes the show so special is that you go into these different worlds it's the curiosity model
0: Well this is why you're my co-host cuz you 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 butter my bread and I, I
1: encapsulate and then <laughs> you serve to that like softball like make right me back.
0: look better than I am but I appreciate that <laughs> yeah. Um I mean it, Doctor Gabor Mate. Another Gabor episode Mate. you haven't listened to? Didn't get to that.
1: <laughs> <end>. <laughs>
0: it's in not queue. In fairness, we only came up queue. with this segment uh, like yesterday, yes. so I didn't give you a lot of heads up or time. No, but, but, but maybe going um, forward, we'll figure that. I out. did.
1: I did watch some of Gabor Mate's ritual content on the, the reels on the uh, slot, she, slot machine. The slot in my machine. Palm. Yeah, I did. I did watch that and. Uh, very interesting. You know, I always find, especially now, because it's like, I, for years, I didn't have health insurance. I don't know if you can believe that, but mm. I, didn't, I couldn't afford health insurance. Nor could I. For years. And um, I would pay out of pocket for things like acupuncture and alternative health stuff because I actually didn't really want to go to the medical doctor. And I think in the last years, for, for many reasons, you know, I think starting with. April being pregnant and finally having health insurance—that's one part of it. You know, after Obamacare passed, I was able to get health insurance, and and moving forward, I kind of still I tapped into it, but I still kind of stayed a little bit halfway. And uh, I think there had been a time in my life where I, I would fully resonate with everything he said. And this time, I watched the content, and there, you know, he referenced drugs used for MS and rheumatoid arthritis, and it's very interesting because I. I actually have a story about rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine had rheumatoid arthritis and turned down all the drugs, and he uh, decided he didn't believe in that because the doctors were basically saying you're incurable. You're gonna have to take these drugs the rest of your life. It won't help you that much. So, in that sense, you know, that's what that's where I believe Dr. Mate is coming from. Is that that's that's the only ref, that's the only thing people can recommend for you, and it doesn't necessarily help you. In fact, maybe it does hurt you mm-hmm. long or shorten your lifespan. He decided to look for a nutritional change, got rid of all grains and still kind of went through the process, but in the meantime lost all the connective tissue cartilage in his hands he, he went through incredible pain. Like it's a miracle he survived. Two years later, he's come out of it. He's growing that cartilage back. He's not eating grains. That's what really did it. He, mm-hmm. he figured his own way out, mm-hmm. but it was hell. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's the one thing his recommendations, I, I, I'm not saying they're false. I'm saying there's, there is a price to be paid. Yeah,
0: I mean, I yeah. think that clip yeah. really triggered certain people. And part of that is my fault. It is taken a bit out of context, but he is pushing the boundaries of you know what we're kind of accustomed to hearing when it comes to how we treat medical conditions. Yeah. And that specific real, he basically is saying, like, listen, as you said, like there are, you know, in certain cases with certain conditions, the medical prognosis and the, you know, prescriptions that are part and parcel of that are not necessarily the solution. And there is an opportunity to go beyond that and to look deeper, to probe into somebody's emotional psyche. Like in the case of your friend, he discovered a nutritional solution that ultimately put him on a better path. Dr. Mate is suggesting an emotional, Exploration, right. <laughs> which is and, even and that's, another level. That's hard, steadily. you know. Especially like if you're somebody who suffers, or you have a loved one who suffers, who's going through hell and has tried all sorts of things, or you know, really has you know found a way to to, to live well on these medications. That's a difficult thing to hear, and I'm compassionate towards that. I don't think what he's saying is that in all cases this is the solution, but perhaps instead there is something to be learned, gleaned, or um, experienced by opening your aperture and trying to, you know, delve into what's going on with you emotionally, as a path towards some version of healing, yeah. whether in partnership or not with traditional Western medical approaches to whatever ails you. And it's, you know, it's a, it's something that's worth exploring and considering. Yes. And. Given, you know, he's not some wackadoodle guy who's coming out of nowhere. This guy's been treating people forever. And his thesis emerged out of his work with thousands of, you know, basically low bottom addicts in Vancouver and realizing the relationship between unhealed childhood trauma and drug addiction later in life and this later book this this recent book that he just came out with, The Myth of Normal, is really about extrapolating upon that thesis to say at the root of many diseases lies things like unhealed trauma or emotional distress that is compartmentalized and not actually healed, right? And if we can go in and heal that, what are the downstream ramifications of that on health? And his you know, he would say that they're profound and that we need to start paying attention to that. And I think there's, you know, it's like, it's a challenging thesis and, you know, at times like, I feel like I challenged him, he challenged me. You know, this this is something that happened in our first podcast conversation as well, because I'm so indoctrinated into 12 step. You know, I tend to view addiction and recovery through that lens and that lens specifically. And he's challenging me to, Broaden that aperture, right. and you know, see a path to healing that's a little bit more expansive. And that, you know, I can bristle at that, or I can, you know, take that and say, well, maybe there's something for me to learn here, right? right? Um, anyway, I like you know, I, I think that that's another episode that that is doing really well, and I think he's, you know, helped a lot of people and is a really important voice.
1: He's got a great face, wouldn't you say? Incredible face. Incredible face. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, best face. I think he wins best face of all of these three guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he
0: he has an unbelievable, unmistakable but, face. Before That's we get to sure. these,
1: these, well, I'll, I'll ask you this sort at the end. Point. I wanted to ask you kind of like a nuts and bolts question about the podcast, but I'll ask you at the end. But right. um, but yeah, great face, a great voice, um, and yeah, I'm not suggesting that any of his conclusions are wrong. I'm just suggesting that when you when you venture off the path to try some other methodology, whether it's emotional or nutritional or whatever, there often is a price to be paid in pain. Mm-hmm. And that's okay if you can handle that. But I, I just think that that's important to also say, it's not like an easy, like, it sounds like a better fix. It's not an instant fix or an easy fix either. None of these things are instant or easy. Of course not, yeah. but in the- I'm not saying he's the, saying that, I'm just trying to clarify. Yeah, 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 I understand yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I also think that there's some additional connective tissue between Gabor's message and Ken Rideout's message and what we're about to talk about Max Fisher's message in that many of our larger social problems are being driven by men, a lot of young men who are disenfranchised, lacking means, lacking opportunity. You know who many of which I suspect are managing wounds and trauma without any help, without any direction, without any resources, without any strong healthy male role models. All of which make them vulnerable to less than stellar online influence, which mm-hmm. you know manifests metastasizes into untoward behavior in the real world. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a big part of what Max Fisher talks about. Max Fisher. I know we're going to talk about that and. And and why I think people like Ken Rideout are important because they're you know uh, an opposite to that in a healthy way. So, in the context of what Max is talking about, I mean, first of all, to segue into him inelegantly, I know one thing you wanted to talk about. With the name right Max the Fisher. Top. His name is Max Fisher. His name
1: is Max Fisher, <laughs> which is, you know, one of the great characters in in recent film history. Yes, wouldn't you say? I mean, indelible. <laughs> Right? Yes.
0: Timeless. Yes. He, Explain for people that might not know. Max Fisher though. was the
1: character played in Rushmore by Jason Schwartzman. It's Wes Anderson's second film. It's uh, arguably, you could argue it's his best film. I, I don't know if you would. I think it's one of the top five. It's in my it's top five. It's definitely
0: in the top five. I don't know that it's his best. But it was but. the
1: one that really like, Bottle Rocket was good, mm-hmm. but this was like another level. Sure. And Bill Murray kind of, re- I don't know if you'd, it's accurate to say rebooted Bill Murray, but kind of, maybe it did. Yeah, I think it did. Um. And so the you know, it's a it's an incredible movie about a high school senior Traumaturge. Yeah. It was <laughs> like like this this wacky high school. It's 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 amazing. If you haven't seen Rushmore, please stream Rushmore. It's unbelievable. Do it for Max Fisher. Do it for Max. Max Fisher. Yeah. So this one just
0: dropped today. You yes. listened to a little bit of it. The um, early um, response, I mean, like right out of the gate, has been uh, pretty voluminous. I think this episode is going to do really well. I think it's, it's a really important conversation, um, and it's something that we can all relate to yes. as you know creatures who live to some extent by and through the internet and yes. the vicissitudes of the social media platforms and the algorithms that make choices about what we see
1: and what we don't. Yeah, it's it's. It hooked me right off the bat. Um, I have not read the book. Um what's the what's the title? The Chaos Machine. The Chaos Machine. Um, you know, it's another yet another kind of take on how social media is is twisting society, basically. And this one has a much more global overview. And um you can encapsulate it better than, than I can, but like he he's a foreign relation foreign what was it what was it? it's uh he's a foreign, foreign correspondent yeah, yeah foreign affairs correspondent like investigative reporter pulitzer prize finalist yeah and he he he's not the tech reporter that you'd think would normally cover this you say that right off the bat yeah
0: i mean that's not his beat he no. came into it through the work that he was doing overseas yes. when he was seeing the, the the kind of ramifications of what social media was doing in the developing world
1: yeah and how it was fueling you know, uh, the Rohingya genocide in Myanmar and mm-hmm. how it was, which he covered in, for the New York Times, and then fueling um, some rampages of Hindus um, destroying Muslims' homes in India and those riots in 2012, which he didn't recognize the social media component there. And he, he kind of feels ashamed of that now, which he talks about with you. Um, so that is really interesting. Uh, I've covered Myanmar a lot. So that, that, that really piqued my interest as well. Um, and then you know, talking about Zuckerberg's quote. Did you have that quote, or was it he that had the quote of What's the quote the, about um, rewiring society? Like, society is a is a, a math or is a problem.
0: Oh, I think well, it was Zuckerberg who yeah. who said that. Yeah, like th- that 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 you know, basically, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something along the lines of like humanity is an
1: engineering problem. Yeah, humanity yeah. is an engineering problem, and so. The arrogance and kind of, I guess, glee, that kind of is both arrogance, glee and, and, ex, and excellence that kind of came together to create what we are now kind of all armed with, which is a slot machine basically, he says mm-hmm. so eloquently uh, in our pockets. Um, all that was, was, it's all intentional. It's uh, basically, we're all dopamine addicts. It, he's, he wants you it's to It's intentional on
0: the front end, yeah. but it is unpredictable on the back right, end, right, because right, I don't right. think anybody could have foreseen no. what would transpire as a result of their creation. And now everyone's in, I don't know if it's damage control, but they are trying to figure out like how to rectify this thing that clearly is driving us apart from each other. Creating social division and ultimately, you know, wreaking untold havoc.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the arrogance I think is part of that. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I find it really compelling. I know you, you're really into the book. Um, what, what else? What else? Should I mean, we the way that share? I think of the book yeah. is
0: if you watch that documentary, "The Social Dilemma." Yeah. This is the equivalent of a semester long college course on that subject matter mm-hmm. where each thing that comes up in the social dilemma is just probed a little bit more deeply and it does have a global focus beyond love. the yeah. you know parameters of the United States and i think you know another important takeaway is that it's less about vilifying the Zuckerbergs of the world and more about understanding the inherent incentives of the systems and the platforms themselves that are built to um, take maximum advantage of the systems. I mean, basically most of them are there to sell ads and they're there to command your attention so they can serve up as many ads as possible. And with those built-in incentives, you're creating you're creating platforms that ultimately you know, are, are, <clears throat> are so addictive that it's almost impossible for the well-intentioned human being to have a healthy relationship with them. Hmm.
1: It's, it's interesting right off the bat, you guys start talking about the Rohingya Myanmar issue, which was uh, a Facebook issue and how fa- the UN has actually said that Facebook exacerbated what ended up being kind of a series of pogroms that destroyed settlements and, and basically killed and murdered and maimed and raped um, the Rohingya people from the majority Burman population was involved in that. Some of them was the military. The military has been doing that to ethnic groups around Myanmar, I've covered that mm-hmm. several times. Um, but in this case, it wasn't just the military, it was also regular people kind of going in similar to like what happened in India. and the i'm not i'm not suggesting that 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 obviously happens the thing is he also talks about how much of this is human nature is this human nature mixed with kind of this new tech problem and i think that's interesting because he acknowledges yeah. the
0: human nature component yeah. of it as being yeah. you know a huge aspect of it these problems as you know and yeah. have pointed out existed prior to social media
1: yeah yeah india like there's been mobs uh, destroying Muslim settle, you know, homes and and settlements and slums in India for you know generations. There's been, in Indonesia, there was uh, Muslim mobs that went and and killed and destroyed and uh, whole Chinese ethnic Chinese neighborhoods in Jakarta and other parts of Java. I mean, and and across Indonesia, this is this stuff has happened. Koreatown was destroyed during the riots, and that was intentional. Mm-hmm. That it was Koreatown, um, and so these these things have happened before social media, but now social media is kind of like exacerbating it. And it's funny because you point out quite rightly that like this, what we're talking about in, in Myanmar and in India and other places is like the polar opposite of the Arab Spring where everyone, mm-hmm. all these same platforms were exuberant about their possibilities to really change the world for the better. Mm-hmm. And then this is like the, the dark aftermath, which right. is the real dragon that, that, that they mm-hmm. built. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting.
0: Yeah, it's a listen. It's a it's a, a fascinating and far-reaching problem. I do believe. Like, I'm not a fan of of villainizing like the 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 execs and making them like the ultimate bad guys here. Like, I I do feel like I don't know. Maybe there's are you defending the man know, right people. now? No, I I feel like like as individuals there is a, uh, an understanding that there's a problem that needs to be dealt with. And I think that they're probably grappling with how to solve a problem that structurally just feels impossible to solve, right? Like right. when you have a structure, a business plan that is a for-profit enterprise, short of turning off the platform, like how do you fix this? Like mm-hmm. content moderation with human beings or through some kind of artificial intelligence is never gonna hit the mark it's always going to be too much or too little.
1: It's going to be he called people it like off. Air freshener and, outside and, a toxic waste dump. And
0: whoever's trying to propagate, who, who's not, you know, on a on a bender to propagate some kind of campaign, whether well intentioned or not, is always going to have the advantage in terms of figuring out an end run around whatever moderation is going on. So mm. it's almost like a uh, you know a Sisyphean task of trying to solve it. Like I don't know how it, how it can be solved. But ultimately in the meantime, you know
1: it's massively problematic. Oh, 100%. Do you feel conflicted in the fact that like you're on Instagram today with these Mm -hmm. tiles basically talking about these same problems, but by doing that, it's kind of, it's like the the argument we we had, we talked about last time, which is the medium is the message. It's almost like, and uh, I think I referenced last time this book, Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television. It's about like, no matter what you put on the television, this is the argument, like the the way the television works is that we're not seeing the picture, we're seeing pixels and the picture is actually being put together in our brain, Mm -hmm. different than film, which is light was supposed, back in the day was light through uh, uh, a film. Mm -hmm. And so it was an image, on film, it wasn't being built in our brains, but because of the way television works, it's being built in your brain. That was one of the arguments for the elimination of television. This old book that is a great book, but I'm sure out of print now. This reminds me of that kind of book. It's like these are the arguments for why the internet and social media should not exist. Probably right.
0: But you know, I'm a product of the internet. Right. Like I make a living as a, if if the internet didn't exist, if social media didn't exist, I would not be able to do this thing right now. Right, right? and I try to leverage the pipes for good. But the truth of the matter is, is that I'm completely dependent upon these platforms in order to like do this thing that we're doing right now. Right. So it's complicated, right? Like, yes, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. I share clips from the podcast. Like I try not to um, allow it to consume me and 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 really use it as a creator. Like I'm using it as a place to broadcast the work that I'm doing as opposed to uh, a place for consumption. And I plead guilty to being a consumer of it as well. Like to me, like that's where my work needs to focus. My work, my personal work, I mean, like in terms of like, what are my habits around my social media usage, not as a broadcaster, but as a consumer. Um, But I think if you can reframe the relationship into one of, productivity and creativity to use it to create rather than to consume, then it can be unbelievably powerful. Like I owe my entire career to the, it's to the internet. So it's it, like, you know, far be it from, so what yeah. am I gonna do like cast stones and shoot arrows at this thing that has given me an unbelievable living. And, you know, I, you know, if I could be so bold to try to put like a positive message out in the world and impact people in a meaningful way. so. Yeah. You know, how do you reckon with those polarities? I don't think you do. You know, I, mean, you know, I mean you're
1: like, someone as well. Same, same. Like like I I was a guidebook author and like a freelance journalist primarily, and those were great days. And but I'll but also like all my content always went on the internet from mm-hmm. way back when. And now I'm on this show and I've had uh, the good fortune to work with David, whose book became a hit on Amazon as purely like without Amazon there'd be there'd be no can't hurt me in this mm-hmm. this particular incarnation it would be a different type of a thing through a, more of yeah. a publisher but even publishers like it's not just you it's like these days major publishers they want to know how many followers you have like everything, they have rewired. The point is they have rewired society. certainly have rewired media. And that now it matters like what, how many followers a journalist has, mm-hmm. it matters. And I don't know how many Max has, but like a lot, there's a lot of people that do very well in journalism because they have a lot of followers. Yeah, so they're and playing We can, that we can argue about game.
0: whether that's a good or a bad thing, but it is true. It's like true. That is the reality in which we live and like, when it comes to YouTube, like I love YouTube. I right. love that YouTube exists and we get to make these videos and right. put them out there and share them with people and people enjoy them. Like that is a net positive in my life, but you know, we have to we have to recognize that there are problems with it as well that need to be solved and hopefully they
1: can be solved. I don't know how to solve them. We're but, feeding the chaos machine either way. I think yeah, is what we, the, me, the medium is, is the message yeah. kind of argument would be. I'm not saying I'm not making the argument or judging anything because I'm doing the same stuff. But the argument would be the meat. Anytime you feed the chaos machine, you're helping the chaos machine, sure. even if it's good stuff. Because and,
0: you are the product. And one of the most powerful things that has stuck with me in that conversation with Max was this idea that we all think, on some level, that we're exempt from that manipulation. Like, oh, all these people are being manipulated and they're going down rabbit holes, but like, I'm. Not me, right. you know, like I'm, right. I'm witnessing right. all of this, right. but Look I am, those immune. idiots, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's saying, nobody is immune from this. Right. And that is a very common, you know, reaction. Like we all think that we're too smart for that. And yet subtly, incrementally, we're all being lured in one direction or another as a result of these like tectonic tech plates.
1: He's, he's clearly extremely smart, but also humble, which I liked. I mean, mm-hmm. I, thought, I just think it's a great podcast. I, um, I can't wait to finish the rest of it. Um, I think it's interesting though, when it comes down to it, maybe we should all unplug and just go do things that have no productivity involved at all. Like just go, maybe I should just spend most of my day underwater. Can I get paid to just stay underwater? Follow your bliss, follow your passion, like Maybe that's Maybe that's why Killian yeah. is the greatest. The universe oh, <laughs> will conspire to support you. Maybe that's why Killian's the greatest endurance <laughs> or like ultra runner of all time. He does what he wants to do. He, all he wants to do is just run on a trail. He doesn't want doesn't to look at all that shit. No, yeah. and look what it did for him. Hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. <laughs> yeah, that's his accomplishment <laughs> to you,
0: come on. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with uh, an endurance sports check-in. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try Waking Up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You could find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. All right, so during the break, Adam had to check to see how many Instagram followers Killian Journey has. 1.3 million. Good for him. I undersold him. Yeah. yeah. Just running on mountains, yeah. doing his thing. Exactly. Well, that brings us to. Even he's
1: feeding the machine.
0: <laughs> he is, right? <laughs> it's not his fault. We all are. We all are. We're all complicit. Um, at this point, it's not new news, but Killian firmly established himself as the all-time goat by winning UTMB. Jim Walmsley gave a gave a gave him a run for his money. Really went after it, but ended up third. Killian took home gold in that race. And we don't need to recap the whole race because it was a couple of weeks ago at this point. Right. But I thought what was interesting was- 100 mile race, um, right? Yes, yep. UTMB, the most prestigious mountain race. Yeah. Uh, was this article um, about uh, his UTMB training and race data. Uh, a lot of this data was made public and there was an article in, in Trail, Run, Trail Running Magazine trail runner magazine, uh, kind of analyzing it and briefly synopsizing some interesting takeaways. So, uh, from that, which I think is instructive, they saw, and this is just what he kind of shared publicly, maybe he's doing more training beyond what was in his Strava and kind of his Coros data from his GPS watch, but he logged 1200 hours of training annual over the year, right? 1200 hours. Uh, 88% of that training was at lower intensity and included a ton of cross training. And most instructive was just the incredible amount of zone one and zone two two training. So 56.9% of his training was in zone one, 20.2% in zone two. Crazy. Um, At the highest end zone five, only 3.8% of his training. Which I thought was super interesting. Yeah, Um, we'll link up this article in the show notes, but it kind of goes through zone by zone his approach. Uh, And you know, I think if you're somebody who thinks that marathon runners and ultra runners log a bunch of junk miles, and like let's get rid of the junk miles, I think Killing is powerful proof that those are not junk miles. Like he's building this just implacable foundation, this base that makes him bulletproof and very resilient
1: as a runner. So Mm -hmm. anyway, I thought that was really cool. Super interesting. Zone one, I can't pack a bag in zone one, so.
0: You can't, but you don't have, (laughs) see for Killian to run in his zone one, which is like walking for a normal human being, he's probably running like, he could probably run like seven minute miles in his zone one. You think in zone one. Because he's so efficient. In on his flat ground,
1: seven minute miles. And he's been one.
0: building this base for so long. Right. Like his zone one pace is, I would, I'd be very interested to know what his zone yeah, one pace is. Yeah, I'd be is. interested too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of long distance running, the the 3100 self transcendence run is underway. I think they're on day nine at this point. Okay. Um, long time listeners will remember uh, Sanjay Rawal, who was on the podcast back in 2018, that was episode 389. He is a runner and a filmmaker. He made a documentary called 3100 Run and Become, which is all about this race following some of the participants. Essentially, this this, you know what this race is, don't you? No. Oh, So this is, I talked about it um, with Camille Heron because she's interested in doing it, Uh, but it's a 3,100 mile running race where you basically run around this city block in Queens. That's like, I don't know, a half mile really? long. Uh, for, for they, they open up the course in the morning and they close it at night. So it's not like you know no sleep, like you sleep at night and you show up in the morning and you run as much as you can until they close the course. And you have to complete the 3,100 miles in 52 days or less. So basically you have to run an average of 59.6 miles a day. The 2019 winner did it in 47 days. And uh, this is just like one of the most insane races yeah. in existence. A crazy maker. A thing. Yeah. Um, wow. And the people that compete in it, interestingly, I mean, you should watch Sanjay's uh, documentary. We'll link it up in the show no notes. Crime. You can get it on Amazon Prime. Um, this guy who won, I think he, the same guy who won in 2019, his name is Ashpana, Ashpra. Ashprohanal forty. he was 48 years old in 2019 and he's 51 now. I think he's a, like a, um, a postal worker in Finland or Denmark. Oh, okay. I, I thought you were gonna say that's his route.
1: No, 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 so he was do, but like a lot the of these
0: competitors, are, they're not professional athletes and they right. look sort of like lay people. They don't look like racehorses. And it's just you know the the prize goes to the tortoise in this thing. It's like the guy who can or woman who can like keep moving the longest. It's this war of attrition. It's kind of an unbelievable crazy. Thing. So
1: the, the the goal is to transcend the self.
0: Well, yeah, it's, it's it was burnt, it was created by Sri Shinmoy, who's sort of this you know uh, guru figure. Okay. Uh, from that part of New York City. Who created who, you know, part of the part of the the kind of spiritual philosophy is that you achieve self you can achieve self-transcendence through endurance. Right, right. Right. Sort of like the marathon monks. monks. It's a similar kind of thing. And so this race was kind of born out of that. Um, anyway, you can also follow Sanjay on Instagram. He's been updating people through his stories. He's at Mr. Sanjay R, M R Sanjay R on Instagram.
1: Amazing. Before we get into the water stuff, can we talk about Tony Riddle's upcoming run? Yeah, please. September 15th, he is gonna be running Britain's longest trail, the Southwest coastal path. It's a thousand kilometers. He's gonna be doing it in 10 days to beat the current record. So he's going for an FKT. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a hundred kilometers a day for 10 consecutive days. And the elevation is equivalent to scaling Mount Everest four times. So Mm -hmm. what is that a hundred thousand plus feet of elevation gain? Um, and so he's doing that starts September 15th. He's going to be uh posting about it on the natural lifestylist, so that's a place to see it on Instagram. Um, and he's raising money, he's raising money to for the southwest coast paths. Uh, I guess they have a restoration fund, yeah. Um, and also to a documentary um, highlighting Brazil's in next indigenous congresswoman. So he's like he, his, his, his main uh his pet causes are the environment and sure. indigenous rights, indigenous people. So he's got three causes that he's raising money for. So if you are feeling it, um, go over to his Instagram and you can read a little bit more about it and then uh, you know kick in some money or just watch the show.
0: Do we have links for uh, those nonprofits that we can put in the show notes? Where's our link guy? I don't know, you're our link guy. Uh, okay, yeah. I'll find
1: him. I'll give you your links. Um, I was in guy.
0: when I was in London. I did a podcast with Tony, oh, you so did? we talked all about his preparation for this challenge. Okay, um, just with the you know post production schedule and all the guests that we've had. Unfortunately, that episode's not going up in advance of this challenge. So, when it does go up bear in mind that it was recorded prior to that. In the meantime, if you wanna get down with Tony, you can listen to the first podcast that we did. I don't know what number it I is. I love but that just one. search Google for that. And uh, where he
1: got you barefoot
0: running. He did and we made a little video yeah. where he took me through some, some drills and things like yeah. that, which is fun to watch. And he has a documentary out about his three peaks challenge, which is called one man, two feet, three peaks. I think it's like I don't know it's like an hour long or something like okay. that. It's a pretty good watch, and it gives you um some good context for who this guy is and how remarkable he is. He is like a
1: remarkable like human being
0: running, you know, in his vivo barefoots and climbing these these peaks,
1: barefoot, family <laughs> it's like, man it's
0: wild, no furniture in his house. no
1: family man. They a lot of squatting, yeah. a lot of natural movement. But they sit on the floor, they sleep on these pads, right like yeah these, they
0: don't but they don't have chairs right, you know. And he's he's a beautiful, wonderful guy. I just yeah. love that guy to death. So cool, a transcendent. Should, should, self. should we should we talk about this hundred mile offshore challenge? <laughs> <laughs> Is it even a challenge?
1: I don't. No, I mean. No. I remember when this came it's up. Not though. you? Did you actually? Post it? I wonder if I saw it on your Twitter or on one of my other many for daily forays into social media.
0: This came up and was suddenly everywhere. So this, this rapper, <laughs> Young Thug Young Thug, posted
1: from jail, I guess. So his roommate is a fellow, it was incarcerated person, his roommate? I th- what do you mean his roommate? I'm talking with my roommate and we're wondering if- you, Oh I yeah, I think I so. Re- when I read his, that tweet, I didn't realize it was Young Thug. I, I thought it was just some dude talking to his roommate. <laughs> I did too because we're old men and
0: we don't know <laughs> what's going on. Right. But young thug said, I'm talking with my roommate. We tweeted this, I'm talking with my roommate and we're wondering if you could swim hundred miles from the middle of the ocean back to shore, Michael Phelps and Michael Phelps, retweeted it and said, yeah, I think I could make it. And this kind of like exploded the internet for a minute. Yeah, especially <laughs> in the open up. water
1: circles, like there, <laughs> yeah. please can Michael right. Phelps
0: bring some star power to our to our sport. So like CBS Sports ends up writing an article about this, taking it seriously, like, could he actually do this? Like, what would it take? And um, talks about like who Young Thug is and all the like. And, and he was in, in jail at the time? Reportedly. Been charged with a wide ranging Rico case. What's Rico? And is awaiting trial, racketeering. Okay. Uh, so I, I don't know anything about that part of the whole deal. Okay. Um, You're, not what you, endorsing. What you You're not
1: endorsing his Rico case. What do you think? Could Michael Phelps do this? Um, well, I think he could. You know, I think, I think it's, it's do, people have done longer swims, right? Um, I think Cameron Bellamy was preparing a swim that's about that long at one point. Well, um,
0: Pablo Fernandez broke the record for longest distance yeah. ocean swim in 2021 traveling 155.3 miles in 26 hours incredible and then uh, we know neil agius yeah. the guy who swam um, from italy to malta in 52 hours that was 100 or no 78.48 that miles. must be
1: cuz he's an olympic swimmer so that must be the guy that like that felt cuz later Phelps Talked to his coach, I guess, and they figured it would be 50 oh, hours. Man. So they must have been talking about Neil's r- swim. That must have been part of the maybe, calculus there. Maybe not. Um, uh, I think he could do it. I think that it would. What would be cooler would be to have him try to go for a record at like the English Channel or try to find like one of these. Crossings to do first. You'd have to do some training anyway, mm-hmm. so you'd have to do long swims to prepare. You couldn't just do the 100, right? So, you know, wouldn't it be cool if he decided to like go for the triple crown, the record, of the FKT, and some of these channel swims? I'm, I'm telling you, people who cover channel swimming,
0: yeah, <laughs> would really like uh, I'm that sure story. that's going to be big motivation for him. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest here. Uh, could he do it? Of course he could do it. Like if Michael Phelps set his sights on a yes. goal like this, it, he's going to accomplish if it. If he
1: says he could do it, he yeah. can do it.
0: But yeah. here's the thing, this is never gonna happen. Like this is not a <laughs> no. real thing. No. You know, I love that there's newspaper news articles about this as if he's actually contemplating it. He is living his best life right now. He has accomplished everything there is to accomplish. Like, could he? Yeah, if he wanted to put his time into this, but he why would, he, why would he do that? that? He looks fit. He's enjoying his kids, Why would he's he going to golf tournaments.
1: Cause the, inner, like. the inside milk man, he, <laughs> Maybe. Needs, he needs something else. I don't know. He needs the primal but, nature.
0: But how long, you know, like, listen, like first of all, what ocean and, you know, where in, you know, what is his longitude and latitude here? Is it cold water? Is it tropical water? Is there chop? What are we talking about? Well, here? I mean,
1: if he's planning on doing, um, he's not planning <laughs> no, on he's it. He's not.
0: But yeah, if, it's like <laughs> I love the whole conversation. Yeah. Like imagining that he's actually if, planning if for he, this. He, is, he decided, he, to. he tweeted that, and then he never thought about it again. Most likely,
1: yeah. But if he decided to take it on, I think you you know you end up having to pick a window, and within that window, you deal with the conditions as they are. Mm-hmm. Like that's how it usually but goes. But what
0: is you know where in the world would you set your sights on doing this? Like where would his first window be? Well, first of all, geographically where we,
1: I should ask you that because you're you've done ultra events. I, I usually interview people after they've done them, but well, I what know.
0: What do you want? You want you want relatively warm water and you want calm
1: water. Not necessarily. Like if you're gonna try to do like the, the challenges that I know of, the best the best biggest swims. I mean, you could do he could he could go to Hawaii to start there, but the, the, the currents can be really rough there. Um, wherever you go, there's going to be current, there's going to be tides. So you know, at well, some what point, you want
0: to do is swim in the within the, the Gulf Stream current and have it just carry you,
1: right? You want the the yeah right but with that, maximum speed. But, that, but those conditions can be rough too. I mean, yeah. that, that, that doesn't always work. Um, I think and he would have to put on quite
0: a bit of weight for buoyancy and for warmth because right. even if you're in warm water, let's say the water's seventy six degrees, yeah. that's still considerably colder then your, your body temperature and a lot of your energy goes towards maintaining core body temperature, right? So, you don't wanna be expending a ton of energy right. to stay warm. So, that's why a lot of these open water marathon swimmers, look they, they look like they're out of shape because they have so much body fat on them.
1: right? There's a movement now though, within a water swimming, that's not necessarily, that was thought to be true, but it's not, as, it's not as necessary as you think. You don't have to carry as much weight as, mm, it, as it was really? thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's some people who don't think, I mean, Antonio likes his bioprene, but there's others that are preparing swims that they don't necessarily look like Michael Phelps looks, mm-hmm. but in a speedo, but they're not necessarily uh, looking uh, too overweight.
0: Well, the best line in this CBS article is how it ends at the very end. It says, uh, it's a, <laughs> as of now, there doesn't seem to be actual plans for Phelps to attempt Young Thug's challenge.
1: Mm. Yes, but I, way, I to think, bury, way to bury the lead there. I think Young Thug's onto real. something. I don't know if he's, if he tweeted this from jail. Do you think it Young Thug
0: was actually challenging him? He was asking a question. What, what,
1: I, what I think we should start doing is have young thug go around challenging athletes to ultra <laughs> events. Like have whoever he's rooming with. He's in charge. He, he and his roommate. Of dispensing with challenges, yes, dispensing he be, challenges to the world. He should be the commissioner of While ultra. While he's awaiting trial. Yes, young thug, <laughs> you could be the traditional commissioner of ultra and you can create events and go around and you just tap people with Twitter, tap them and said, you Rich Roll, I've read about you. Great book, by the way. Um, now you are going to swim Catalina.
0: <laughs> okay, right. See, yeah. this, is, this is why we need social media. Yes, yes. this is the good side of social <laughs> yeah, media. Okay. Yes. Should we talk about this 70 year old lifeguard? Which one? The guy in, at the Jersey Shore.
1: Oh, the Jersey Shore lifeguard. You know what I'm talking about. So, yes. you're talking about Eric Greensmith?
0: Uh, I am talking about that very man himself. This popped up on Instagram under the Wall Street Journal uh, page. At WSJ, this guy Eric Greensmith, who looks great, is a reti- he looks amazing. Yeah. He's a retired anesthesiologist, I think. Okay, um, was worried about getting bored in retirement. So as his career started to wind down last year, he started getting into shape and started dreaming about recapturing some of his, you know teenage years mm-hmm. by returning to becoming a lifeguard on the Jersey shore. He trains for it. There's all these tests that you have to pass. Like you got to run in the sand and do, you know some kind of routine. And he passed all of those.
1: And there he is like sitting in the lifeguard chair saving lives. There he is, man. It's shades of Jim McConica, you know, the, and the other old heads that I see in Malibu, you know who Jim McConaughey is, right? No. Jim McConica was a collegiate swimmer at USC and um, he his claim to fame is he beat Mark Spitz in some collegiate race. And then fast forward, he was fifty and working like I think he, his he owned some like car dealerships or something in Ventura. Mm. And uh, he was all out of shape, and he he, he was kind of disgusted with himself, and he decided to swim break the record from Catalina. Well, now he's something like seventy. I covered him when he and the Deep Enders did some channel swims uh, in in. The Channel Islands, and he at one point held every record of all the Channel Islands. Wow! And he's like, I think he's seventy plus now. Um, and when he decided to become a lifeguard again, like I forget how old I think he was, a little bit after fifty, he won that race. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like he still can compete with the top guys in speed in swimming and running.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah. How do you think he would measure up against uh, Doctor Greensmith? I think he'd he he would defeat. You <laughs> think Greensmith.
1: so? Yeah, Doctor Greensmith. Sorry,
0: I got a soft spot spot in my heart for this guy. Oh yeah, check him
1: out. But I mean, Meconica is like yeah yeah. A I get level. it. I get it. Yes, it's cool though. Yes, like I applaud this. Do you think? You I think wanted, it's cool. When, that, when it I be, think
0: it's cool that the Wall Street Journal decided to write this really cool article. I love about this guy I love too. It.
1: You know, it's it's interesting because I've been th- you know as we get on. In age, Mm -hmm. you kinda want to create new skills, get new skills, get back to you know, you do feel the pull to do something of use um that's different than feeding the chaos machine. Right. I I think about I think about those different things.
0: And age is just a number. Yes. Your greatest challenges await you. Mr. Skullman. They do? Yeah.
1: Mm, Okay. Voluntary. Is that good? Is that volu- good? Voluntary
0: challenges. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. I've been through some challenges. Some of them I some of them I'm, of them I'm Look, not eager to go through again. Life I'll
0: has a it. tendency to dole things out. It like we, we don't get out of this thing alive. So. No, 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 nobody does. Expect more challenges. This morning
1: I stared death right in the bloody mouth. What happened? Someone texted me a picture of a, a beached dolphin. Mm. This I, is the chaos. I stared at it at work, and I meditated on it. Did you? Yeah. Wow. That's how I confront death on a near daily basis. That's your
0: your your amor fati. That's my amor f- fati. What's yeah. that? The Stoic phrase for death is what is it? Yeah. What does it translate to? I like, feel like Ryan Holiday.
1: I think feel like Ryan Holiday stares at like dead animals on his Instagram <laughs> every morning before he does a Stoic. <laughs> I don't think so. No. I love he has some story. practice around that, but I don't think that's what it looks like. <laughs> anyway, let's switch gears. Okay. We're going into the gutter here. Um, can, I, can I talk about a TV show I watched?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is this the time or are we doing that later? Oh, let's do the main, let's do the main topics. Oh, the main, main topic first. Main topic. Yeah. So
0: so, that yeah, we're like an hour and a half into this thing when we're hitting our main subject here, but hey, this is roll on, right? This is what happens in roll on. So, I thought as we slowly inch towards the 10 year anniversary of this podcast. Uh, when is that? It would be in November at some point, okay. late November, I think. Okay. It would be good to kind of reflect on some things that I've learned as a result of this journey that I've been on. So, I just jotted down some thoughts, a few pillars, uh, of things that I've learned from from podcasting and from and life and yeah. athletics, business, sobriety, yeah, uh, lessons not just applicable to podcasting or being a podcaster or to being a content creator, but honestly, you know, to and for anyone for any purpose. And I think how many did I come up with? We were like cramming to get this podcast together. I like, ah, maybe I'll come up with like five things, and I came up with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, I came up with 12, so it's like the 12 steps, perfect.
1: Rich Rolls, 12 steps.
0: <laughs> Roll on, 12 yes. steps. I don't know how much time we wanna spend on this. We can go through them quickly, okay. but the main thing is- Would you like me to try to poke holes to in it or just- You, you can, <laughs> I want this to be conversational, Adam. I told you that. <laughs> the first thing is, to invest in your curiosity. Yes. And I think that's not to be confused with follow your passion. It's to pay attention to yourself. Like what are you naturally curious about? Yeah. Um, and to learn to honor that and to pull on those threads and be open to where they might lead you. And you know, often they don't they're not dramatic lightning bolt types of things, but I think being in a mindset and cultivating a practice of of honoring your curiosity is is has been a huge piece in how this show went from idea to what it is today, uh, and I think it's applicable to anything that you choose to invest your time in. Mm. Because if you're not naturally curious about where that time investment is going, then it's probably not going to work, right? Like right. you have to be curious about the work you're pursuing, the endeavors that you're investing in.
1: Stay curious. Yeah,
0: like. Could you write a great book or a great article if you're not curious about the material that you're investigating? No. Of course not, right? Right. Can you achieve an athletic goal if you aren't curious about what that journey is gonna reveal about who you are and where it might lead?
1: Maybe not one You could, you could force yourself to, but it's
0: not gonna be a sustainable thing.
1: Right, right. it might be a Mm one-off. Yeah.
0: And this podcast is really built on Curiosity. I mean, you wanted to talk earlier about like how I choose the guests. Right. And it's really all about curiosity. Yeah. It's a gut instinct thing. It's not like, oh, here are the people with the big books that are coming out or here's the people who've expressed interest in coming on. At this point, it's not about like, who can I get? It's about like, who's right? And who's right often doesn't match up with like who's most popular or who's got the biggest thing going on. It's about who I'm naturally curious to learn from, who I feel uh, a gravitational pull towards. And that's really been like the guiding principle or light. And it's all about curiosity. Love it. Second thing, listen, Adam, you need to hear this. (laughs) Preparation. Oh. (laughs) Preparation. There are no shortcuts to anything. You can't cram for a competition. You can't fake readiness. In order to be present, in order to be able to execute to the best of your ability, I cannot overemphasize the importance of preparation. Mm -hmm. And in the context of this podcast, I would say on average, maybe, between six to eight hours goes into each guest. Okay, reading their books, listening to other podcasts they've been on, reading all the material that I can find—background material, news articles, blog posts, etc.—and then synthesizing all of that material, coming up with an outline. Like I, I, I probably go way too far on the preparation thing, but. It's that thing, like if you're an actor, you you can't just memorize the lines, they have to become so rote that you forget them and you can show up and be present for the performance. Similarly, like I have to digest all of this and allow it to kind of percolate in my unconscious mind so that when I show up to do the podcast, I'm not reliant upon looking on notes even though I have the iPad open in case like I have a brain fart or something like that. And I just trust in the preparation. And try to be as present as possible, and and allow it to be what it wants to be. But I think what you see are a lot of people like faking the preparation part and trying to kind of um, you know get through certain experiences and play it off as if they have been um, as if they had prepared. But you know you can always tell.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I'm. It's I'm like all a short
0: about, term versus long term thing. Sorry, go ahead. No,
1: yeah, I'm all about the uh, over researching when I'm when I'm writing something. I always over over research, talk to too mm-hmm. many people. I have too many people's quotes that I I want to get in there that I can't always do. You feel bad about it sometimes because you can't get to everything, but so it creates this other problem. But in the end, it always delivers better material. So I think in media preparation is key six to eight hours sounds like I, I, I like because it seems like you put in like I, I wouldn't be surprised I wouldn't have been surprised if it was 30 hours based on some mm. of the interviews you get into yeah and, I mean and yeah. it
0: depends yeah. you know it depends on you know with authors it's generally more yeah because you have to consume their books and all right. of that but you know and this is this is uh, applicable to everything like if you're gonna be an athlete you want to show up for your competition prepared. Of course, you know, like right. you don't want to be trying to get away with something that you're act, that you actually didn't earn. No. And all the things that you seek through participating in a competition, like the the sense of the enhanced sense of self and pride and all of that, are really uh, a function of preparedness. Like if you didn't really put the preparation in, and you kind of get away with it, even if you get the good result, you're not getting that feeling, you're not getting that enriched experience that you would have had you put yourself on the line and tried your hardest, which means investing in that preparation piece.
1: Mm, Love it.
0: Um, Next thing, listening. Most people are terrible listeners. If you can master listening, the art of listening, you're already gonna be way ahead in just about everything important in life. I think that's true. I'm sorry. What'd you say? <laughs> See, <laughs> I know. This is why roll on never works, <laughs> right? I agree. When I you mean, can match the preparation with listening, uh-huh. I think you know. People ask me like, "Oh, what? Are, you know, help, give me some advice about how to how to conduct an interview or how to do a podcast." It's like follow your curiosity. There's only one you. Be super prepared for what you're going to do and then show up and listen. And yeah. I feel like so many people are in their own heads or thinking like in the context, in the very narrow context of podcasting, so many hosts, they're not listening to their guests. No. They're just waiting to ask the next question or, or they're just biding their time until they can tell their story about their take yeah. on something. And, and not
1: just in podcasts, you see yeah. that on television interviews, you see it all over. And it's terrible. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not the best interviewing. And the best interviewing is when you can find a spot that you can dive deeper. You can find a little Mm -hmm. rabbit holes and burrow into them. Um, But also, like if you're taking that to daily life, how would you, how would you, if taking the listening piece, most people are terrible. How does that, how would you transfer? I'm I'm
0: less skilled in the real world than (laughs) I am. (laughs) I, I don't believe that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's about being present, right? Yeah. Are you actually listening to the people that you're engaging with during the day? And that's like, you know, that's definitely uh something that I still need a lot of work on. You know, I'm busy and I'm trying to get from one place to the next and I don't really want to sit and listen to what somebody's trying to tell me when I'm when I'm perceiving them to be like an obstacle to where I'm actually going. Right. So I think it's inextricably linked with um trying to be in the moment.
1: Mm. And also that's what another thing that the phones get in the way of, right? Sure. Good listening skills. right? Because we're constantly-
0: I listen to my phone really well. Yeah, everyone listens to their <laughs> yeah. phone to
1: the top, tip top. Yes. Um, but yeah, that, 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 that idea of over distraction mm-hmm. um, gets in the way of it. So that's something we now have to be especially conscious of, right? And I think we always had to, but good listeners, the less you talk, the more you hear, right? The more, yeah. The next thing is consistency. And this
0: is just applicable to everything in life as well, whether you're an athlete, a professional, whatever it is that you're trying to improve at, consistency is the most underrated and important piece in the whole equation. In the context of this podcast, consistency has been everything. Like, just keep moving forward. Every week you put up an episode, some in the, you know, like they're not all going to be home runs. Like, just keep moving, let go of perfection, and create a sustainable model. That factors in self care so that you're in the best position to continue doing the thing for as long as you remain curious and passionate about it and you know on the subject of preparing for guests, like I listen to a lot of podcasts, right If a guest is coming on i'll check out some other podcast appearances they've done to get a sense of you know who they are or some backstory, and what I found um, not all the time, but you know, uh, there's a large percentage of hosts who are either ill-prepared like we talked about earlier or who are not listening, you know, just waiting to ask the next question or to tell their story. Um, or in certain cases, it's great. But then I realize that host is no longer podcasting. Like this was from a couple of years ago and they quit or they stopped because they couldn't maintain Consistency because they couldn't find a way to make it sustainable. Mm-hmm. Like, that's my only inference. So, consistency is super important. And that means creating a system that is sustainable. So, paying attention to how you've set everything up. And this is, I've had to learn from my own mistakes, like starting off trying to do everything, being super perfectionist about everything, and then learning how to let go and empower team members and, you know, create a schedule that, that, um, has allowed us to like batch work and schedule way in advance so that everybody has an enhanced quality of life and then taking time off at the end of the year so I can reboot. All of that has been huge so that I can remain as curious and as excited about doing this thing ten years after it's begun.
1: Hmm. I love it. Yeah that's for sure a hallmark of anyone in the creative arts consistency is 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 paramount because you, you won't you won't even most of the time you won't even get anywhere for the first five years. So, if no. you give up in that that period of time, then. You yeah, had, and you on no that chance. note, you like patience, right? Yeah, you right, don't get right. anywhere
0: in five years. Like, you know, we hear all this stuff about like, right. oh, to change a habit, you need 28 days. Like, first right. of all, I think it's probably more like 100 days, but that aside, if you wanna be good at anything, it's gonna take 10 years. Right. Like, I think a decade is really the 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 best metric that I've seen in order to go from, not necessarily beginner but from competency to you know maybe not mastery but like true competency like
1: 10,000 hours becomes 10 years for you whatever it is yeah. like i don't know if you can be that reductive about
0: right. it but things take time and yeah. you can only rush things so much so right. instead of trying to rush it just understand this is what you're in for relax into it you know build over time whether you're trying to build a business develop a client base like whatever you're trying to get good at, like it's important to think in decades, yeah. not in days or months it's or, very or even when years. It's very
1: tough when you have this dream and you're young and you don't really yeah. see like, God, that so, seems so far away. Yeah, I remember I- I uh, mean, if
0: you're a new lawyer, it's gonna be 10 years before you have a book of business and you're kind of well-regarded as being somewhat expert in your specific field. I'm sure the same is true if you're a doctor, yeah. if you're an engineer, and certainly you know as a podcast like right. we're at 10 years now like when we started we were small now we're larger i still have tons to learn i would not consider myself to to have mastered this at all like i try to approach it with a beginner's mind yeah um but yeah it took 10 years to go from where we were to where we are today and that's just the deal when i was a swimmer it took me from age you know 10 to 20 to right good obviously there's some physical development in there but you know, that was a 10 year period and with podcasting it's been from 2012 to 2022
1: you know it's funny i uh in the end of 2004 beginning of 2005 i i went to indonesia for the second time and i i met up with elizabeth gilbert who i had met my previous trip a few months earlier 6 months earlier we were all there and my sister was with me, and we all went to go see Katut, i forget his last name, but like one of the holy men that she consulted that's in um uh Eat, pray, love mm-hmm. and so she went to see him and then she took me to see him, and he did his whole thing where he's kind of kind of tells your fortune, you know he predicted the success of Eat, Pray love by the way mm. and he uh, he he looks at me and you know he and he says. I forget exactly what it went down, but he said you're trying to build something. He goes, he goes, it's going to happen. He's going to happen. You're gonna achieve great success at 47 years old. And this was I was this was 2004, so I was 33. I, uh-huh. I think I just turned 33, and I was bummed, man. I was so bummed, you know. I was like, God, that, that's a long time. Like I could barely make rent at 33. Like I'm thinking, how am I going to make rent for 16 years? That's that's where my head went. This is how. Kind of fucked up, I was thinking, but it's true. I mean, I, it, it was scary to hear that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I didn't hear that just keep going for 17 years. I heard I haven't even been doing right, it for You could have interpreted
0: years. that as relax a little bit. Right.
1: But I'd only been trying for like five years, mm-hmm. you know, and it had been hard, you know. And so now I'm, I'm looking at all the way to, to that period of time. But when I was 47, right before I turned 47, I think it was right. Yeah, right before I turned 47, Can't Hurt Me came out. Wow. Wow. I wonder if this guy's that right all the time. I don't right? know. Sorry. I have it on airplane yeah. mode.
0: But the thing is if he's wrong, like no one remembers. Um, it's when he's right that you remember.
1: That's the thing. Yeah. How right are you all the time? <laughs> he, but that's pretty right. I mean, forty seven? Yeah. Not wild. True.
0: It's pretty cool. Yeah. So there you have it. Um Patience next thing. is the point. Next thing. Process over results. Okay, you gotta fall in love with the process, Adam. That's, that's what, what he should have. That's what he that's that's was what, telling me. Yeah, or that's how
1: I was gonna say. That's what he should have told you. <laughs> right? Yeah. But when you're talking about writing, the process is, can be torturous sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you do have to stay true to it because, like, when you're talking about writing, the more you can get into the process and be there, it gives time for the for the beauty to come through.
0: And it's true of everything, right? You know, the more you're in it for the process for the right reasons then the results which you care about become less mission critical cuz you're not you're you're not necessarily doing it for the results you're doing it to become better at the thing that you care about right and i think that's super important you know for the mastery of craft it's hard though man and it's not about what it's not it's not about what happens because of the thing it's a, it's the thing itself that matters so can you find that thing in your life that matters so much that it's more important than where it takes you.
1: Or it, it's actually what matters most is you and that's your own self-development. And the process is really just an arena for your self-development.
0: Yeah, it is the, the engine right. of that journey. All the
1: rest of it is, is pretty much completely not, it doesn't matter at right. all.
0: Like whether you're doing it through athletics right. or through something creative or through business or through family, they're all just vehicles for that growth journey. That's right. There you go. Yeah,
1: And the growth journey isn't always pleasant.
0: <laughs> <It's> generally
1: not. <laughs> generally, not. Yeah, generally not. When, you, when you're coasting, as, you're not growing. As you could have,
0: <laughs> you can attest from yes, what the story yes, that you just yes, shared. Yes. Um, the next thing is, is to choose your mentors wisely. Mm. I've been pretty lucky with mentors. When I was early in my career, I didn't have great mentors. Um, I could have really used them, but I found an amazing uh, collection of mentors later in life. And that's been crucial in all the decisions that I've made around personal and professional life. And they don't have to be fancy people, but you do need people in your life who will give you honest, clear feedback Mm -hmm. on your decisions. And those should be people that are trusted. They should be few. And they should always have experience in the field of advice. They have to have skin in the game. Like you're not gonna go to your super successful businessman friend who's, who's never been in a healthy relationship to ask him advice about your marriage, right? You're gonna find somebody with a really stable, healthy relationship for that purpose, right? You can have different mentors for different purposes. Um, and I've you know compiled a really robust Stable like a board of advisors for all the different kinds of problems that I run into personally that I can run things by. And it's been huge, you know. And I think, you know, ancillary to that is the importance of, of holding yourself accountable to what you say you're going to do, like hmm. being true to your word, um, to yourself and, and to the other people in your life. Like I heard um, this guy's a legend in, in 12 step my boy, Scotty G, when I, was, when I was very newly sober, he said to me, like, I, I'd screwed something up and I had to make an amends and I felt terrible about it. And he said, if you're gonna eat crow, eat it hot, mm. right? Like take care of your shit. Don't wait around and think it's gonna go away. Like deal with it directly and swiftly and honestly. And then you become like th- those sorts of actions, like we're all fallible, we're all gonna make mistakes. Um, and we're all gonna fall short of holding ourselves accountable at times. But when you do misstep to just rectify it as quickly and as swiftly and as honestly as you, you possibly can.
1: I love it. I don't have a stable of mentors, yeah. Rich. You can tell. You should. You could tell, you said <laughs> You said yes, you should. I know, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I should, but uh, I never thought of it that way. I think I'm gonna build a stable of mentors. Would yeah. you like to? Be in my stable. I would happily fill that role. Okay. Yeah. I got a stable of one now. There Just you go. Add some more. Call me anytime, Adam.
0: <laughs> um, the next one is is around exploring less traveled waters. Okay. And I think this is sort of interesting. Like when I when I was developing as a swimmer, I very consciously remember choosing to train for the 200 butterfly because that was a race that none of the other kids wanted to do. And in my mind, I thought, well, that gives me a better chance of distinguishing myself because there's less competition there. And that was correct. And I think that would hold true for like, oh, here's Ultraman over here, this crazy long race that not that many people wanna sign up for. Like maybe I could distinguish myself there um, in a way that I, that would be more difficult if I was just to sign up for an Ironman where it's already very crowded. And I think in the podcasting sphere, it's been a similar journey. Like when we started this show, uh, podcasting was unripened fruit at the time. Like it wasn't that competitive, but I did have a sense like, oh, this is a medium with potential. And I have an opportunity to get in early when it's not that competitive and distinguish myself. So I think, Extracting from those experiences and applying them to your own life, like where is that unripened fruit that matches up with your curiosity, that together provides for uh, you know maybe an unassuming opportunity or an opportunity that that is you know not getting the attention that that it could and you know in my experience like moving in those directions has proven to be beneficial.
1: If you look at all of this stuff. It's it's like you could see how your background in athletics completely fed your success because it's you're look you're looking at it very The principles are the same. The principles are the same. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Consistency, perseverance, yeah. hard work ethic, yeah. showing up, accountability, yeah. identifying the opportunity. And then it starts to dovetail into principles of sobriety. Like the next thing on my list is gratitude and impermanence, like understanding that nothing lasts. Like I'm very conscious that right now is an incredible time for the show, for my life. But I'm also aware that like, it's not gonna always be this way. Like this is a very impermanent thing. Like it will not always, like we have this sense like, oh, this is the way that it is right now. It's always gonna be like this. Like, I know that it's not, you know, this has an expiration date on it like everything else. So in the meantime, make sure to express gratitude for for what you have you know yes. to appreciate the moment while you're in it rather than to only see that in retrospect later on after that moment's passed like to, and that's not a that's not a default mentality for me like no. that's something i have to practice to be
1: aware of like celebrate the small victories Along the way, and the, big
0: ones. and the big ones, and understand that the big ones, like I, you know, as human beings, that we have this weird wiring where we think, like, oh, like that was great, so it's always going to be great, or that was bad, so it's always going to be bad, right? Like everything is in flux all recency the time. Recency bias, not, don't, yeah. Recency bias, not taking anything for granted, yeah, um, not creating expectations one way or the other around what it's going to be like tomorrow. Love it. Um, you know, which kind of segues into the next thing, which is loved ones first. Like, mm-hmm. and this is a recurring kind of theme on the podcast. I've had many guests recount a version of this notion that, you know, every deathbed regret orients around a lament of time not spent with the people that you love. Like how many times have you heard
1: that? A lot. Right? Yes.
0: And how, and how well do we practice that?
1: You're asking me how we it? When we get caught, well up, pra- we get caught
0: up in the chaos machine. I'm always in my head, know? man. Yeah, yeah, it's hard, right? Yeah. yeah. Kids, partners, friends—yeah—are they getting the best of your time and attention, or are they getting the scraps at the end of the day because you're tired and you've already be expended that year. energy? Yeah, be me yeah, yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah, me too. Right. Yeah. I mean, this list isn't a list of things that I'm that I'm mastered you're and practicing. I'm now telling you these are things that I'm working on yeah. myself. Yeah. That I'm very fallible at. Um, and then you know. Continuing in the the kind of sober trajectory here, it's all about like contribution. Like, what are you giving back in service? How are you empowering other people? And this is a drum that I've banged many times here on the well, you, podcast. And you, I, think, but
1: I think you do this. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, I think the, the yes and no. audience I mean, here would tell you that you do. Right. But yes. this is
0: also a for profit venture at the same time. Yes. It, and it's like finding those things of like, how can you, how can you, merge those things like there's pure service. And then there's, you know, this is, you can make an argument that this is in service to other people. It's in service to myself too, if I'm being right. honest. Right. Um, but I think, you know, understanding that whatever you invest your time in, you must also find a way to make sure that it's also about something bigger than yourself. Something that allows you to give back in return for the gift given, you know, and I think Ancillary to that is this idea of practicing, entering all scenarios from a perspective of what you can give, like what can you positively contribute rather than what you can extract, what you can get, how you can get one over on other people or get a leg up, which goes to this idea of long-term strategy versus a short-term approach. Like, yes, if you go into a meeting and you're trying to up, one-up somebody, maybe you win that battle, but ultimately you're gonna lose the war. And the war always goes to the person who leads with gratitude, who is giving back, who is contributing more than they're extracting. And I think that that is, again, this is something that this is not about podcasting. This is about like, how do you conduct yourself in the world? when you enter into a conversation with somebody or a social setting or a meeting or an exchange with your kids or your partner, like what is your mindset? Are you trying to contribute? Are you trying to improve the environment that you're in? Or are you looking to get what's yours and win?
1: Um, You're looking to win, Adam? Um, Not that often though.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I don't see you like that. I'm not
1: like that person, but uh, I think that I like to build rapport. For me, a mm-hmm. win is when rapport is built. Like that's why you have me here. I'm the rapport guy. Yeah. You feel the rapport?
0: A little bit, I'm you trying. Feel, you feel it? It comes and goes.
1: <laughs> I feel like we have flows. rapport. We don't have rapport. Flows. No, we do, of course we do. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I'm i definitely not one of those. I, I've always thought that like, obviously it's a foundation of the economy is the market economy, but the idea of having to profit the most off every deal, I think is, is which is, a Product of the stock market, right? I mean, it's a product of all of that, mm-hmm. and then it, then there's a cascading down. Even small businesses end up in that same trap, even though they don't have investors to please, but they're always trying to get, you know, until even even if they're not trying to make a profit, like Amazon didn't for years, they were trying to maximize the market. So mm-hmm. there's still there's a greed element there to get the most. Um, I've never been the guy that looks to get the most.
0: No, um, you're not a zero not sum guy.
1: That's not that's not me.
0: The universe I, I, is infinitely abundant.
1: I, I think that we can all we can all uh, you know group up and have more together. But um, that doesn't mean that I don't fall into those traps, though. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, one of the the greatest gifts of this podcast is it has provided this opportunity for me to pursue a living that that feeds my family. Right but there is this other aspect of it. It's like, I feel like I, you know, it it feels good to know that I'm trying to contribute something positive. And the marriage of those two things has created this vocation that I just feel like so lucky. Like, I can't believe I get to do this. And there's a feeling that you get when you know, like I'm trying to do good, even if I'm not succeeding necessarily, like the intention is there. Um, And hopefully once in a while, like the product is there as well.
1: Well, that's what's cool about kind of creative endeavors and media in mm-hmm. particular is like, is when, when your goal is a win-win, you can feel that, you know, and like that's the goal here usually. When you're sitting down with somebody, you're not you're not trying to take them apart. You're trying to um, share what what they have that's of value to people and to explore it for yourself, and that's always going to be benefit to the show and a benefit to the, the subject and a benefit to the audience. So it's like a win, win, win. And so if you're trying to go into things with win, win versus win, right? Which is definitely your vibe here. Definitely why we connect, I think that's the key, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, 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 I'm imagining a listener saying, well, you found this podcasting thing, you're lucky. Like, I don't have that thing. Like, how do you find? how do you find that thing for yourself? Like, I'm not saying, People should become podcasters, but there has to be something that you gravitate towards when you cultivate that curiosity that over time can develop into something that is both a pursuit that nourishes you, but also nourishes others. And, you know, kind of bring it back into the context of the many guests that we've had here. You know, David Goggins would tell you that that motivation and inspiration are are fleeting. They're not sustainable sources of of energy. Uh, And Tom Bilyeu would say, instead of trying to rely on motivation and inspiration, you need to find a quest and how you define that is up to you. But to me, a quest means attaching to something bigger than yourself. Like whether that's a problem that needs solving or a need that needs being met. Like Scott Harrison says, Don't fear work with no end, and like Mike Fremont, the centenarian says, "Make your life about service," Mm. and that's going to look different for every single people, person. But you know, there's something really beautiful and and indelibly true about that. Hundred percent. Yeah. Final thing number twelve. Twelve. The twelfth. The twelfth. It's. I wouldn't call them steps. Okay. These are ideas I jotted down points. this morning. Let's not get crazy. About them. I didn't put that much thought into this. <laughs> 12 points. Yeah. On the preparation <laughs> thing, less preparation for today.
1: <laughs> Twelve <laughs> points of light.
0: Six to eight hours did not go into this. Let's this be particular honest. show? Yeah. But they don't need it to was know a that. mad scramble. I wake up Monday morning, <laughs> and then we frantically get on Facetime and on the phone and try to figure I out called, what we're going to talk called about. You
1: yesterday, I called you. At yeah, the you did. Time.
0: We had a call. I, I think that's. I think people would like to know how we put this you thing have, together. This we do not sit down and just decide in the moment what we're going to talk about. Like, no, we throw an, an outline back and forth yeah. over the course of ten or twelve days. Yeah. that you know ends up in some form of completion or non-completion. And then over the weekend, we chat on the phone. We try to mature those ideas. And then Monday morning, we get back on the phone. We finalize the outline. We make some last minute hectic notes and then we roll the dice. But I would say we put, I mean, basically over the course of two weeks, like I make notes every time I come across something interesting. like. Right. I throw it in the outline or in my notes app on my phone, so I'm constantly, always like thinking about like. Yeah, what yeah, I have, I have a about. notes app
1: always going. Yeah. Um, this time I was, I was. It's just been a scramble for me the last four weeks. So I've been less available than my typically always available self. It's okay. Because um,
0: you have private, secret projects that you're working on. I've got, that got top you're not allowed secret, to double talk secret
1: projects that <laughs> yeah. no one will know about ever. <laughs> How convenient. <laughs> Katoot layer, K-2 yes. layer. Adam is
0: unavailable. Man. He's working yes. on a top secret project that you'll You'll read will his never... next
1: work when he's 67 <laughs> yeah, and it'll be a smash know, hit. Right. Um,
0: all right, final point. This is another drum that I've beaten many times and that is conversation matters because if we can't talk about it, we can't solve it. And I really believe that. Like when we think about the chaos machine and the episode with Max and the existential problems that we face individually, culturally, socially, politically, economically, the solutions to these problems begin and end with conversation. If we can't talk about it, we can't solve it. We're in a situation right now where there has been a denigration, a dissolution in healthy discourse. And if there's one thing that I'm devoted to in this podcast, it's endeavoring to have healthy conversations about things that matter because we do need to talk about these things and the solution does lie in conversation. It's not the whole thing, but if we can't have a conversation about these important subjects, we're in no position to rectify the problems that we face.
1: Too many people out there are trying to win, Mm -hmm. aren't they?
0: It's not about winning, it's about listening, it's about compassion, it's about understanding. Love it, yeah.
1: 12 points. So
0: there it is, 12 points. These principles apply to whatever you're thinking about or striving towards fitness, athleticism, whatever career path you've chosen, writing books, being a creative individual, being a parent, being a partner. Being and a chef. They've, yeah, like they come, like it is interesting, like I was writing these down and I was like, well, these, thi- these are things that I've kind of learned from podcasting, but I kind of learned them from being an athlete. I've right. learned them being a sober person for an extended period of time. I've learned about them being a parent and a partner and they all kind of congeal. So I can't separate one from the other.
1: Right, but, but I, I like that you're an- analyzing yourself and what your experience and what you've been through like that kind of stepping back and, and, and taking the time to do that is cool like I, I just never do that like and and it is healthy to do that mm-hmm. you know and if you don't separate yourself from your life to take the time then you you forget too much you know mm-hmm. like you don't see as clearly the principles that have guided your own life even if you are guided with some principles that matter that are that are true and pure if you don't see them it's like you can't leverage them quite yeah, as much. Yeah, and
0: the way to see them is through meditation and mindfulness yeah. practices and journaling. Like if you journal enough themes emerge, yes. my friend, and you start to see your behavior patterns recurring and you get clarity on like what's driving them and why do I keep doing that? And when I do this, I get better results. And why is it hard for me to do this thing? Or here's a habit that I've changed or that I need to change, like I can't, Recommend or encourage enough, you know, people to engage in you know their version of that process. Love it. All right, we're going to answer some listener questions, but before we do that, we want to. Before we do that, do you want to share a couple things that we've enjoyed? Yes. We have some content.
1: Should I? Should I recommendations? Kick it off? Yeah. Go um, for it. I just wrote about this new series from Jimmy Chin and and uh, his wife Chai. Chai. Uh, what's her last? Vazarelli. Bazzarelli. I know that how to spell it. I don't know how yeah, to say it's, it. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Once yeah. you say it though, you can get it down. It's easy.
1: Um, anyway, they start, they have this new series on Nat through the Nat Geo Disney Plus um, app uh, for streaming. It's called Edge of the Unknown with Jimmy Chin. And it is an encapsulation of each, each episode's own story. And basically it came out of I, you know, this, this, this story that I wrote should be up on outs, on, out, for outside mm-hmm. uh, before this episode drops, but I had a chance to, to have a Zoom call with Jimmy and he talked about how after um, Free Solo came out, he kept getting approached by people who wanted to know how come these athletes don't feel fear basically, some, some version of that. Like what is it about these guys that they don't feel the fear? How could Alex be on that wall and not feel fear? Mm -hmm. And so this was kind of his way of showing 12, all of who are the best at what they do, whether it's a big drop kayaker or a big wave surfer, I guess, Justine DuPont on there, um, or Travis Rice, the snowboarder. You see them all in the moment where they failed or almost died. and. And through that lens, you also see how much preparation goes into the sport they do, why they're doing it. You actually see them as these unvarnished human beings mm-hmm. going through this crazy experience and then coming out the other side. These stories aren't necessarily new. They're kind of like some some amazing stories from the last 15 years or so of in of adventure sports. Um Conrad Anchor's heart attack when he's right. climbing a mountain is is in there. Jimmy's Do they uh, have film documentation of that? It's amazing footage. I mean, wow. it looks phenomenal. Um, J- Jimmy's avalanche story that's in Meru with right. J- Jeremy Jones, that's in there in a much deeper way. So it's like, it, it, it just in the footage, I can't express enough how great the footage is. Some some of it's like the Red Bull cameramen hanging out of choppers, but some mm-hmm. of it is people with GoPros in the river, you know, like, right. and, and and that kind of is even more moving sometimes. So it's it's really incredible. Um, there are only like, 22 minute episodes, I think, so real easy to, to digest. Um, and it's, it's made for the core audience all the way through the kind of casual advent, armchair adventure. Yeah, I would
0: imagine yeah. for the hardcore adventure person, they're already familiar with Jimmy, Jimmy's work right. and they know that he's chronicled these various people and these various challenges, but the average viewer doesn't know. No. Like maybe they saw Free Solo but how many people saw Meru or right. some of the other stuff that they've done? Um, I think it's really cool. I'm looking forward to watching that. I was I was meant to be in Anaheim uh, last Friday to do a fireside with Jimmy and Alex um, about the show for some kind of Disney Plus upfront okay. event or something like that. But I I I had to, I couldn't do it. I was too busy. I'm kind of bummed that I couldn't make it. Um, around like, you know, this new series. So I'm really looking forward to checking it out. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's their first foray into television. They've had, you know, Oscar wins for free solo. They made the rescue Mm -hmm. Um, and they have obviously.
0: The first of many uh, Thai cave Productions. That's my next. Yes.
1: <laughs> I'm working on something. There's like a lot, about that a lot right in now. the
0: pipeline there, but they yeah. were the first. I love that documentary. I feel like it yeah. should have gotten more attention than yeah. it did. I thought it was unbelievably rendered. And it is that combination of, yes, the guy hanging out of the helicopter with boots on the ground. GoPro yes. like like uh, cinema verite. Yes, yes. That you know, he's exceptional and, and oh, yeah. you know, him and Charlie. There's together. nobody like
1: him who has a, a, a boot at the top of both fields. You mm-hmm. know, there's just nobody like that. Yeah, cool. Yeah.
0: Well similarly this is not new but I finally got around to watching 100 uh, Foot Wave on HBO. Oh, yeah, man. And we've talked about yeah. it. I know you watched it a long yeah. time ago yeah. and you've interviewed Maya and uh, you know you've covered like Nazaré and yeah. everything that's gone on there and so I had kind of an arm's length understanding of all of that but um, Garrett McNamara was coming on the podcast who's the guy who basically pioneered big wave surfing in Nazaré. Yeah. And I needed to really, you know, as part of my six to eight hours, like that's a good one. I'm gonna that's watch this. That's well, a pleasure, that's an easy, pleasure cruise. That's an easy six <laughs> or seven hours yeah. right there. Yeah. Um, and this show is unbelievable. Oh like I learned. So, like I told Garrett. And this episode's not going up for a while, but I told Garrett that the experience of watching that was very similar to me interviewing Alex Honnold after he had. Free soloed El Cap, but like a year before the movie came out, and thinking that I understood what he had done, only to watch the movie a year later and realize, like, oh, I don't really understand that at all. (laughs) Like, this is like way crazier than I ever imagined. Right. Similarly, with the 100 foot wave, um, thinking like, oh, Garrett, you know, found this wave and just went over there and, you know, figured out how to surf it. No. To discover that he was there like two years mm-hmm. before they finally figured out how to safely surf it and to do it strategically and like safely. all the team building. All, yeah, he, well, he said, he says in the podcast, he's like big wave surfing is a, he's like surfing Nasr is the safest thing in the world or something like that. I was like, that's the craziest thing
1: you've ever <laughs> that's, said. That's I not know. true. That's not I true. Know. It's not the yeah, safest thing know. in the world. Well, you know, he's just like he's yeah. describing yeah. these waves.
0: He gets so animated, Um but how much went into team building and research and strategy and consensus building and getting the government on board and getting the lighthouse open and getting the resources, like putting those pieces into motion took a long time. But he understood that, like he understood the only successful way for him to do this thing was to do all of this foundation building first, um, which is really smart, right? And obviously ended up being successful in contrast to, when the Brazilians show up and, you know, think that they're gonna be able to just go out there and do it and realize very quickly like, oh, that's not gonna work. Like I just learned a lot and developed a greater appreciation for Garrett's level of mastery and his, you know, unique sort of genius. And I thought yeah. the storytelling and the cinematography, I mean, they just won an Emmy Incredible. for best cinematography. Oh, yeah. And mean, you know, it's like, how it's, do you extraordinary. Get than that? It's, it's extraordinary. And they're doing a season two, which yeah, I no. think they've already, like they've already shot it. It's already wrapped. It's, yeah, right. It just hasn't, I think it's coming out in January or something like that. Um,
1: I think Garrett McNamara is, is one of the greatest leaders and visionaries in the history of adventure sports. And I think that mm. that it, it's, it's really laid bare in a hundred foot wave why I feel that way. So I, I don't even wanna say anything more right. about that. Just watch that if you haven't Seen it because, um,
0: and watch it be in advance of the podcast because his the leadership podcast is, will be is, better if you've
1: watched it. It's incredible, it's yeah. challenging, but also very nurturing. And he gets people to do things that that they never would have thought themselves they could do, right. Like, he's high, he's he knows training who local push. crew, he knows how
0: to find the right he people, fun, but yeah. he's training local
1: crew to run basically safety on jet skis who've never done anything wave remotely like this wave I mean, runners. yeah, wave runners. yeah, yeah. And he, um Anyway, he's a, a very special individual, and his whole upbringing is special. I mean, just his, incredible. a backstory is incredible,
0: and his incredible. wife Nicole, amazing. Yeah, she pops in on the podcast as well.
1: But so, yeah, but and Maya now lives there too, so it's like you yeah, know, the Brazil. She had a, a ver, she she nearly died there, and I think that's safe to to say. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's been out there. I think I wrote about it, and she nearly died there, and she's been and she was actually. Garrett was one of the few big wave surfers or. Met me, like surf stars that did not ever say anything negative about Maya. No, like, the, like a lot of these, the the big surf stars that were out there saying she's dangerous, whatever, and were kind of treating her negatively. Garrett never did that. Mm-hmm. He always saw her greatness too. So that's what I'm talking about with with the leadership. Yeah, yeah.
0: Check that out. Very cool. Yeah. My big recommendation for the week though is. Shia LaBeouf's appearance on John Bernthal's podcast, Real Ones. Okay. Did you listen to this? No, no. I I. (laughs) here is another one you didn't listen to. (laughs) I missed
1: that one. Yeah, I don't really go around looking at Shia LaBeouf. I would
0: strongly suggest dialing that one up for the drive home after the podcast today. I I was very moved by it. Shia is incredible for people that don't know. He's an actor. He's you know suffered problems with with addiction and. Mm -hmm. Um, had a very kind of public meltdown with some terrible inexcusable behavior. Um, and he's now in a place where he's really reckoned with his past and is endeavoring to the best of his abilities to um, make amends for his mistakes and kind of repair his life. Okay. And it's very emotional and powerful. Like there's something very pure and honest about it and captivating. And perhaps that that's you know in part due to the fact that like Shai himself is a very charismatic individual, um, but I found it to be especially for anybody who knows somebody who's struggling with addiction or um, you know has some connection uh, to that disease and the wreckage that it causes, uh, I think it would be healing and instructive. Um, to listen to it. And that's all I want to say. I don't want to okay. I don't want to spoil
1: it. And Burnthal was it's, it's a I would
0: huh? say it's it's special. Yeah.
1: And Burnthal. I mean
0: is the king. Yeah. Like that guy's makes everything that he's in better. He I mean, was he's in he's the bear. Right? He's in the bear. Yeah. Briefly. Briefly. That's kind of a that's a bit of a spoiler, but I don't know at this oh, okay, point. Sorry. Yeah. Wolf of Wall Street.
1: Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> he's
0: like leaps off the screen. Yeah. And now of course in uh, American Gigolo.
1: Yeah, right. Did you watch the
0: pilot not of seen this it yet? No.
1: <laughs> but you know, the classic movie that this is this takes place like after the movie like 6 years after the movie ends, Well,
0: right? it's basically a reimagining of the movie like okay. as if the movie was going to be like a mini series. Right. All the way down to, you know, the Blondie, you know, Call Me song okay. that was part and parcel of the Richard Gere yes. movie. And I think in watching that pilot, I was very worried because like that, I mean, that movie launched Richard Gere's career. It's Is it Paul Schrader who yes. directed that? Yes. Yeah. Um, like, how are they gonna do this as a TV show set in modern times? Because that movie is like wed to the eighties. Like the eighties is oh, just yeah. like the past of that right?
1: whole thing. It's launched the eighties. Uh, and could
0: I, say. I won't spoil, I mean, I've only watched the pilot, but they take it in a pretty interesting direction. And Bernthal is always just, a pleasure to watch um, and he's a very gifted actor with an amazing story in his own right. I really wanna get this guy on the podcast. He's Not only is he from DC, like we grew up near each other, uh, his backstory is wild. Like his dad w- w- was a big DC lawyer who then became, I don't know what the title is, chairman or director of the Humane Society. Okay. Like he's a big animal rights guy. and he's got these brothers who are all super accomplished in their own right. Like his brother, Tom just married Cheryl Sandberg. Okay. And he's got another brother who's a huge oncologist at UCLA. And John was kind of the kid who would get in trouble all the time and somehow fell into drama and it spoke to him. And he had some teacher or mentor who knew like John needed some help or he was gonna, he might fall into the wrong crowd and go down a a bad direction and got him hooked up with this incredible drama school in Moscow. And so he moved to Russia and lived there and studied acting in the traditional Russian tradition. Mm. I I don't know the name of the school for like, I don't know, two years or something like that. Mm. And that's where he learned like, you know, like the hardcore Russian school of dramaturgy, drama. Yeah, of drama, uh, of acting, and uh,
1: interesting. And there's
0: something like really pure about that guy that yeah. I think is really special and cool. That's a
1: journey. That's I that's know, called right? en- endeavoring into the process. Anyway, deep in the process.
0: Shia LaBeouf on real ones. Okay, check it out. Shia LaBeouf. Um, Bjork has a podcast. <laughs> is this a podcast you've listened to, Adam?
1: I've listened to every episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't checked this one out yet. This is we're on the same page here because I haven't listened to this one yet. <laughs> All but right. I mean, come on. Like this, is, this has to be on your must listen to list. I, I, I need mean, to listen
1: to more podcasts like, is what I'm getting if at. If
0: anybody's here. gonna revolutionize like what we imagine a podcast could be, I, I would put Bjork at the top of that list. So out of pure curiosity, I'm gonna be putting this on my
1: Definitely, to have listen to. list. You ever listen to soon. Conan O'Brien's podcast? I listen to that sometimes. Once in a while.
0: What was the mental like segue between Bjork and Conan Celebrity O'Brien? Celebrity podcasters. Yeah, but Bjork, you can't put Bjork and Conan. That's a weird.
1: No, but they're both quirky offbeat uh, celebrities. Yeah, but Bjork is like an artist beyond. She's, she's, you know? she's, she's legendary, yeah. I get it.
0: So there we go. All right. Sorry. That's all I got. Let's do some listener questions.
1: <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> Bjork's uh, podcast. Yeah. What I'm learning is I need to listen to more podcasts. Let's see, there we go. Nicole from Dallas.
2: Hey, it's Nicole from Dallas. Um, It's frequently discussed on the show the importance of sleep and the implications that poor sleep has on one's health. My question is, and I'm going to intentionally generalize, but what can women do who go years without sleeping through the night because of small children? For those nursing or with a teening baby or maybe have multiple children who wake up mom because they had a bad dream, they wet the bed, or they just needed a drink of water? or even families that have children with type 1 diabetes and have to wake up every night to monitor that child. Do you have any words of advice for individuals that go years in a constant state of sleep deprivation? Love the show, thank you for all your hard work. And yeah, you can play this online, thanks.
0: How's your sleep deprivation, Adam?
1: It's still there, it's been there for a long time. I, at one point during my guidebook, Phase, I had been crossing so many different time zones that my circadian rhythms got completely screwy. And I started waking up in the middle of the night, couldn't get back to sleep. And that's something that's still with me. Mm. And sometimes it flares up worse than others. And then obviously having Zuma, um, whatever progress I'd made is kind of shambles. You know, yeah. I had gotten to a point where I was just decided I'm gonna stay in bed until I get my seven hours, no matter what. And that helped me a little bit, but of course, that sometimes life won't let you do that, sure now that's not an option, so um, you know, so it's still there. I've had to deal with it. I know exactly what she's talking about. i, I even know what she's talking about specifically here because i I live, you know we have Zuma's still not sleeping through the night. he's still breastfeeds, so. Um, he still sometimes needs mom and it doesn't help to, for me to go. Yeah. I, I go in there sometimes, doesn't always help. So, um, and, and, I get
0: it. And your experience is just nothing like what it's like to be the mom. No, right, Let's exactly. Let's be clear about exactly. that. No, I mean, no, I, no. I, let me you know begin by saying I got dragged a bit, probably rightfully so for not delving more deeply into this specific terrain when I had Matthew Walker on the podcast. I apologize for that. Uh, we do have plans to have him back on for a very directed listener Q&A session. And this question, because y- y- you know it's come up in comments um, to the reels that I've posted with him, like, why didn't you ask him about this? So, I do have plans to uh, make sure that he answers uh, this very specific question, uh, which is a very you know, circuitous way of saying like, I'm ill-equipped to answer this question. Like, I'm not a sleep expert. Uh, and thus, you know, not one to reliably opine on this specific question and let 's face it i'm not a mom with young kids, so there's that too as well right also there's
1: only so much you <laughs> yeah. can do like,
0: yeah that's the thing yeah, like what yeah. can be done right? What I will say uh in the context of doing the best you can is is at first like you can't change the past like What has happened in the past? Like, okay, you have years of this sleep deprivation. You can let that haunt you and you can allow that to exacerbate your anxiety levels, but let's just put that aside because that has happened and that cannot be changed, right? Um, The important thing is to do your best within the complicated context of your life to not allow the anxiety of that lost sleep in the past impair your sleep going forward. And I think, you know, to begin, it's important to try to maximize the quality. Like if, what can you control? You have quality and you have quantity. Right now, the quantity is being impaired by circumstances beyond your control by this young person who has needs and needs that you need to meet. But what you can control to some extent is the quality of the limited sleep that you can or you are getting. So. You know, no devices in bed, no TV in the bedroom. Try to keep the bedroom a bit chilled. Like don't don't eat too late at night. Like all things that Matthew Walker shared on the podcast. If you can try to exercise during the day, even if it's just a little bit or going for a walk, Try to expose your eyes to 10 to 15 minutes of sunlight upon waking the Huberman thing to help set your circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. Try to slowly wind down in the later hours of the day so that you're gently cajoling yourself into a state optimal for sleep. Maybe get an eye mask if you don't have one. If you have a little bit of a budget, invest in some blackout curtains because to the extent that you're able to grab a nap here and there to have a dark room in order to do that will be helpful. So it's not about trying to find a way to increase the hours, but again, increase the quality and help you drift back to sleep more quickly after being woken up, right? If you're gonna get woken up and then you go back to bed, are you lying there awake or are you able to go back to sleep more quickly? If that's a struggle for you, maybe check out some of these meditation or mindfulness apps. Like check out the Calm Calm. app, they have these sleep stories. There are podcasts devoted to helping you fall asleep. Like there's one, I forget what it's called. This guy just drones on, like he does one every day. (laughs) And he literally just tells stories and he goes off on all these crazy tangents, but he has a very soothing voice. And I think he's just riffing on whatever comes to mind. But it actually puts you to sleep because it's purposefully super boring. <laughs> like he's like, well, and then I went to the grocery store. It's is yeah. like nonsense, right? Um, so yeah, again, like, are you meditating? Do you have a mindfulness practice to reduce your anxiety? Like according to Matthew Walker, anxiety is such a huge piece here, a huge impediment to restful sleep. Right. So if you can reduce that anxiety, Perhaps you can enhance the depth of your sleep, even if it's limited. Uh, Of course, like none of these things are things that I'm sure you haven't thought of. Like if you can afford it, could you possibly get the occasional night nurse? Could you splurge on that? Like I realize that isn't within reach for many, but if it is, that's probably a worthy investment in indulging once in a while so that you can get an uninterrupted night of sleep. Uh, Can you get any naps in? Can you try to get a nap in? Again, like if you have the eye mask or the blackout curtains, that's helpful. Can you trade duties with your spouse or your partner? Or can you set up a schedule so that every once in a while you get the occasional full night of sleep? Like I don't have, a magic bullet here. I mean, Adam, oh. it's been many it's, years since I. It, 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 it doesn't, you're more it doesn't in fully it work that way. I know. But way like, because, I know. I know if you it have doesn't. a night
1: nurse in the house, and and they're screaming because they want mom. That's not going to keep you. I understand, you asleep. Right? But yeah. um, for everything I said, there's a yeah, but. Right. So I would say what I'm hearing from this question is, and this is something I'm sure you've helped, dealt with before, but like. There's such information overload out there, and sometimes when you hear from these experts that have a, that ha, their heart's in the right place, it's it all can about feel, to optimizing. Some people, and can, some
0: people are like, "I can't optimize right, right some now," can, and I feel can, guilty or bad exactly, or like I should
1: be like, exactly, "Let go
0: of it. You're exactly. a mom with a baby. Like right. it's okay. You'll live. This right. too shall pass."
1: Right. It's a it, they, it lands as like a, a task they can't scratch, check off. Right. And so then it feels like you're less than or something. Or yeah, they're not. Right, and so what? What can I do? And the the real answer, unfortunately, is we don't know. But like, and it's fucking hard. There, there's there's periods of time in life that these are the conditions of your life, and you you have to accept them, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, because if you don't, there's still going to be your conditions of your life. Yeah, <laughs> and so there are these are the and conditions. And you'll just of life. suffer more. Um, we try to. I take you know, I handle mornings. That's that's one way I do it. Is that um, I'm the breakfast guy always. I take him out of there when he wakes up. I do you know two two and a half hours with him. she gets a snooze, and that's how we do it. you know like that that's the best thing I can do for her for April is to make sure that she gets at least a, a attempt at a snooze. Sometimes things pop up and she can't take that morning mm-hmm. snooze, and so then that that there's that but but that's what I've been able to do. And that's the best I can do. Sometimes I go in there at night and it's worked, and sometimes not, because you know that's not what he wants. So um, I feel for you. Yeah, I feel for you. I think like
0: maybe just like an inhale and an exhale, and just like an acknowledgement that it's hard, and you have to be kind of a superhero to wake up every day and and navigate all of it. Yeah, and it's okay. You know, like it's okay. You don't like you, this, you're not going to be able to get these things that Matthew Walker is no. talking about. But be gentle on yourself.
1: And that's still that doesn't mean you're behind. It no. doesn't mean that right, you're behind right, right. the eight ball, the or thing. behind other people, or uh, not able to have live a great life or a long life. Because mm. remember, all this stuff is based on percentages anyway and probabilities. And so there are people who will function just fine and you know, and your body has a way to get you through these periods of time. So when you're looking at probabilities and this is what works the best for general population and most medical analysis is based in probabilities. It doesn't mean it's gonna be that way for you.
0: All right, next question. You
1: don't want me to venture into the probabilities?
0: No, well, <laughs> professor scientist,
1: um, Dr. Adam this has Skolnick, been, uh, sleep,
0: sleep science expert, This is been Adam Skolnick. Skolnick. I'm a professor yeah. of sleep
1: science at yeah. the near university. You're,
0: you're, you're, <laughs> you're venturing into galaxy
1: brain territory and I'm trying to save you, I'm, so. I, I'm, I'm frequently called a near scientist, yeah. which isn't the same thing. Is that like near beer? <laughs> near scientist.
0: All right, I'm let's, a go near to, scientist. let's
1: go to Georgina
0: from Kentucky. Let's do that.
1: Hi, Rich and
2: Adam. This is Georgina calling from Kentucky. I'm calling after a long weekend of listening about Eliza Fletcher who was killed over the weekend after running and I wanted to ask you some questions that my 14 year old daughter is asking me right now. My daughter recently started running about two years ago for soccer and was thrilled this summer to start running by herself on our walking trail. She runs about anywhere from one to three miles and carries mace with her. But after the information from this weekend, she came into my room last night and said that she's scared, she doesn't want to run anymore, and running on a treadmill doesn't seem like the answer for her. I know you're probably getting lots of questions about this, but I'm seeking your advice. Running seems to be what my daughter called her safe place and now it feels like it's anything but that. I guess what I'm asking for is advice for young girls who wanna go running by themselves without a chaperone. It's awful that the world has come to this. Um, Thanks for everything that you do. I love your shows. I've been following you for a long time. And thanks for attending to this voicemail.
0: Mm. This makes me so angry. You know this case. It sucks so bad, yeah. It's just terrible that anyone would have to think about this at all. I mean, everybody deserves to be able to be outdoors, enjoy the outdoors, nature, go running anywhere anytime without fear. Yes, alas, that is not the world we live in, and it's such a bummer. you know here's this fourteen year old girl who was falling in love with running and now feels unsafe doing it for valid reasons. I mean, what happened to Eliza Fletcher is just horrific and I just hate the fact that we have to keep having conversations around this. I and mean, mm. we talked about it with uh Ahmed Aubrey, of course. It's just a bummer, man. You know, what do you say to this? What do you say to this? You know, it, can I say anything to Georgina and her daughter that would be helpful that they haven't already thought about? I mean, what can you say? You know, choose your route carefully. You know, maybe don't run at night tell others where you will be and when, like wear bright colors, reflective gear, keep that, you know, mace. All of these things are just like fear impulse though. Like the world is a very scary place. It's a very violent place and you should be afraid all the time. And I just, I fucking hate that, you know? And I say that as somebody of extreme privilege who goes out running whenever I want, wherever I want. I've gone running in places all over the world. I, I run through Skid Row in downtown LA and I've run through all kinds of, crazy neighborhoods and urban environments, you know that I that I'm familiar with and unfamiliar with in cities all over the world and I've never thought about this. Mm. And maybe I'm naive, but I think I'm also, you know, incredibly privileged. I don't have to worry about this in the way that, you know, she has to worry about it. It right. just it, it it just makes me it's just it's very upsetting and it makes me angry. Yeah. You know. Like what do you say? Like go you have to go running with your friends, you know? Don't go alone.
1: I think I choose your hours and your routes carefully. Yeah. I mean, I think I think um Eliza Fletcher was she was running at four in the morning, so it was dark. Yeah. Um this is not about blaming anything. Obviously it's a horror horrific thing that happened and she should be allowed to run at four in the morning anytime she wants. But um, I think when you're talking about a fourteen year old girl, I mean I, I wouldn't let I wouldn't want my even my son at 14 to be running at night. So um, I, I think that the real world is you probably shouldn't run at night. Not, not maybe, but definitely not. Um, so that's one thing you can do. That doesn't mean the world is a dangerous place. It is a dangerous place. It doesn't mean that that should be the first thought that runs through your mind, but there's things you can do. And and running with friends is a cool thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Could right. be a cool thing. And it just is know, not,
0: you know, it's, it's not the it's, same makes It's as more running. challenging to be spontaneous. It does. Like, oh,
1: I have an hour, I'm gonna go out. Like okay. It does. It does.
0: But there uh, are things that you can yeah. you can you can use technology to be helpful here. Like yeah. Strava has a live tracking uh, uh, you, you know sort of um, option on there so you know you can be broadcasting where you are to your loved ones so they can see where you are or you can share your location with someone using find my iPhone if you have an iPhone so anyone can find you and see where you are in real time. Um, You know, those are things that you can do. I mean, you we were talking about this earlier, you had mentioned like taking a self-defense class, which could right.
1: be a cool fun thing to do. That would help soccer right. with balance. It would yeah, also help in running is usually a part of martial arts classes. But the bigger
0: question is, especially from a parent child perspective is, what are we cultivating in this young person? Yes. Like, are we, Telling them that the world is a very scary place and they should be afraid all of the time, or are we try trying to instill in them, you know, uh, you know, uh, a sense of self sufficiency? Like, yes, be wary, but you know, don't live your life out in fear of bad things happening at all times. Like, I don't think that's a healthy message to Agreed. you know to be kind of pounding into your kid. And to that point, like we both kind of, you know, came across this Arthur Brooks, Arthur Brooks article in the Atlantic, which Friend is titled yeah, Friend of the Pod. Don't teach your kids to fear the world. So you wanna talk
1: about this article yeah, a little bit? I, it, thought it it, really, yeah, I thought it really applied well to this question. It's very applicable to this yeah, question. Especially cause um, Georgina seemed like she was kind of at, uh, at her wit's end with this whole mm-hmm. thing too. She seemed very sad in that space, and so it's really important. How do you process this kind of information, and ha- and how do you then teach it going forward? Especially if your daughter's coming to you, and the premise here is not it's not it's not about any specific case. It's it's a it's a parsing of the science around um, happiness, which is what he does, mm-hmm. and 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 so what. One thing that he says here is teaching the world is dangerous encourages, encourages a negative primal belief. A fu- primal belief is a fundamental belief that can then color opinions, attitudes and behaviors going forward. So if you're teaching your kids that the world is dangerous that can also make them less tolerant of others in particular or it can make them actually less safe. Because if you think the world's always dangerous then often your perception of what truly is dangerous is off. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing that they found. Um, you know. It's the same problem that, that I think Jonathan Haidt wrote about in yes. teaching young people that ordinary interactions are dangerous. For, for, instance, for example, people who try to say speech is a form of violence, for instance, or speech is inherently dangerous. That hinders intellectual and emotional growth that can lead to black and white views of how the world works, good versus evil. And that makes people more anxious. So we wanna stay away from that. I thought that was an interesting takeaway here. Mm-hmm. Um, But the bottom line is being a kid in America has never been safer. If you look at the stats. Since nineteen thirty five, number of childhood deaths between ages of one and four fell from four hundred and fifty to thirty per one hundred thousand. Now that's mostly because of medical science, but It it just shows that the fatalities for young people have gone way, 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 way down. And it's fallen half just since 1990, it's it's been cut in half again. Um, So that's important to know. It's not like what happened to Eliza Fletcher is a common thing, it's very uncommon. Yeah, and I
0: think that plays back into the discussion around the chaos machine, because as horrible as these events are, and in no way do I wanna minimize them whatsoever, when we see them go viral on social media and there's a discourse that begins to swirl around them it 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 like impulses our lizard brain to believe that this is something more like profligate than it actually is yes. in terms of like frequency yes. and 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 we're lured into this sense that this is happening everywhere all the time and that leads us down the path to being very afraid of everything all the time which is not healthy like Having some objective context around um, how often this is happen, happening and how safe or unsafe our streets actually are is, you know, a really good tool to help understand that things may not be quite as bad or as unsafe as they seem. And again, you know, back to like, I say that as this privileged white guy, right? right? Like, but, I, I don't, you know,
1: but, but you know, the. Arthur Brooks is not saying don't bring up threats, right? So when you're talking about a 14 year old girl going out on the streets and running at night, Mm -hmm. um, that needs to be dealt with. Like that's not necessarily the safest activity in the history of the world these days, unfortunately. So it is important to address that, but also to keep it in the proportion of this isn't this isn't necessarily the most dangerous thing in the world either. It's yeah. not. A, it's not a foregone conclusion that anything is going to happen to you negatively. More likely, the worst thing can happen to you if you're out at night by yourself is you could turn an ankle and have to figure out your way home if you don't have your phone. So yeah. it's like that's probably the more likely thing that could happen to anybody at night. Right. Um, the so, impulsing
0: is what Brooks calls it, uh, negative primals. Yeah. 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 yeah and yeah. instead, he's he's offering that we should instead. Teach uh, love primals, exactly. what he's calling love primals. Exactly,
1: but when there is a threat that there can be, you always talk about control the controllables, right? Mm-hmm. To me, it's like controlling controllables to make running, keep running a part of your life. It, it goes to, sometimes maybe it does have to be a treadmill because that's, that's what you have to do that day. Maybe you can run on track at school, after school. Maybe you can run around the track. Maybe there's other ways to do it. Maybe you can get on the trail and, and keep doing it. Maybe it is you bring friends into it. Or, or have a self defense class. These aren't necessarily, it's not how you fell in love with running, but it can help you stay in contact with running. Mm-hmm. And then when it's night in summertime and the, and the light stays out later, you know, then you have a much bigger time to where you can engage in it. So mm-hmm. um, I think also making sure that, that the kids understand that these limitations don't have to be entirely limiting, they could mm-hmm. just require you to think and adapt.
0: Right. Or chronically anxiety producing. Right. 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 Well said, thank you. Um, All right, are we going to do this third question? We don't have to. We could. uh, Well, let's see what comes. I I
1: didn't write any ideas (laughs) down.
0: All right, I'm interested in how you're going to answer this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, see, that's that's not fair. I don't even know how I'm going to answer it. Hi, everyone at the RRP. This is Jonathan from Vancouver answering your Clarion call for listener questions. This guy great. Huge shout out to the whole team for such a great podcast.
0: A few props. Adam, I always like your use of Waterman and how you talk
1: about your relationship to the ocean. Rich, like all listeners, endless gratitude for such a great show. And as a teacher, I like how you use the words rubric and parts. Keeping it a little bit light in the spirit of a roll-on, my question for you both is, in the time that you have known each other, what's the most important thing that you have learned from each other? Thank you for such a great show and have a great day.
0: Rubric and parse, mm. Jonathan, I feel seen.
1: Yes, I think that, that's the one thing I've learned from you is how to use uh, $20 words in a complete <laughs> yeah. sentence. Probably, it's just a mask, Adam.
0: I want people to think I'm smarter than I am. Um, what have we learned from each other, Adam? I don't know. Do I need a new co-host? Like, what are we doing here? Like, how are we? Like, what have I learned from you? Is that where you're going here? I don't know. No, this is my. This I is, just, This is my uh, yes. My intervention. What, by what rubric are we going to deconstruct I think, this well, question? Well, it's easy though it. for
1: me to have learned from you because, uh, you know, I, I didn't realize how possible some of these endurance feats were. And so I put you in that same category. You know, you also brought amazing stories. Like today we talked about Ken Rideout, but like the David Goggins interview, I first heard it here. Um, and even before that, having met you, just understanding like that these things are possible, that it's possible to swim and run and ride your bike, this, th- these lengths, um, I didn't even really know that was, See where possible before. So for me, that that's expands what I what I what is possible in all realms. Because once you start to be more open and flexible in your in your um, open minded, I guess, to what's possible in mm-hmm. any one track, it, it really it allows you to see how limiting your thinking can be elsewhere. So um, I think that you're one of those people that that shows me that.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. You're I welcome. appreciate that. I hope that you know, I, I, continues I, your call as you're now. answering that, <laughs> I, I was reflecting on when we first met. So yes. we share a, a literary agent and your book, One Breath was coming out um, and I read it and I loved it. And I invited you on. And and what I remember, I don't even remember what we talked about. All I remember is like, it was a vibe check. Like I just remember that I vibed with you and it was really easy to talk to you. and. And it's not like we became like immediate best bros and hung out all the time, but I made a mental note. I was like, I really like talking to that guy. It was really easy to talk to him. He's really smart. Like we had a rapport that was very natural. And I think like I've learned to um, appreciate how rare that is as somebody who sits across and talks to a lot of people. Mm. Like sometimes you sit in and just it just flows and it's easy, but more often than not, like you gotta, Insert yourself and figure out like how do I you know connect with this person? How do I make this work? And you know sometimes you can get there and sometimes you can't. But with you, it's always it's always easy to talk to you. And I think that that is underappreciated and and an undervalued magical mystical thing that you can't create. Like it it either exists or it doesn't. So when the prospect of like trying this new format came out, like immediately I was like, we got to get Adam. Like I I just knew I remembered that experience, and I was like. You can't put like you can't put like a dollar figure on that kind of thing. And I think what I value most about you is like you're you have such a breadth of, of, of wisdom and experience and um and intellectual capacity and curiosity, like you read tons of stuff and you're interested in things that matter and you care about people. And we have shared interests that don't align perfectly, but that's what makes for like a cool thing here. Mm-hmm. and And this friendship has developed as a result of doing the show. yeah. and as i as I get older, like I've learned learned to like you know how important friendships are and and you know I've reflected on on friendships that I haven't. Um, invested in as much as I could have or should be, and I just wanted to you know let you know that I appreciate our friendship it 's fun to do this thing, but it 's our friendship that exists outside of this yes. and you know doing this has been an absolute joy and pleasure and although we like give each other shit and i 'm like whatever like i 've nothing but like love and respect for you and you know, I, I hope that we can continue to do this for you know however long you want to do it because it's just been it's been a beautiful nourishing experience for me. Oh, thanks, man. Mm-hmm.
1: I I, w- I would love to. Mm. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate those cool. kind words, and I feel the same way. And yeah, the and maybe, uh, is, is maybe the I've key. learned that Adam needs his own show too. We'll see. Oh, but do this this uh, this rapport that you think happened naturally. You really think it happened naturally? <laughs> do you? Yes. Uh, this is some Machiavellian. Ah. Yeah. I am a builder. You were, you you were at home rapport. in the mirror, like practicing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you ever seen Taxi Driver? Yeah. That's me.
0: Okay. <laughs> I knew it all along.
1: <laughs> you think that rapport really, was natural? Uh, if it?
0: that was true, I'd have to go home and really rethink my life. I, I've built rapport. As somebody rapport on who
1: considers this. <laughs> myself a relatively okay judge of character, <laughs> that would really rock I've me. I've built rapport on the streets of Lagos, Ni- Lagos, yeah. Nigeria. I've built it, you know. I've think, seen
0: you do your thing too, yeah. like when we were. <laughs> Like when we were in Catalina and you were writing about Otillo for yeah. the New York Times, yeah. and I've, I've seen the ease with which you just roll up on people to yeah. try to get the story. And for some reason, like everybody just wants to talk to you. Like that's no matter you have a, you have a demeanor about you, like an affect that like people are like, oh, cool, I wanna talk to this guy. Non threatening. Yeah.
1: Non threatening rapport builder. Non
0: threatening. <laughs> yes. Another undervalued Uh, skill. No,
1: I appreciate it, man. I think, um, but I also think that like, as you've learned since we talked about the podcast and you're coming up on 10 years, another thing that you learn is as a journalist, and I'm sure you've learned this in in the seat you're sitting in right now, people wanna tell their stories. And so if you just open the channel, Mm -hmm. they're just gonna, they're gonna deliver it to you. Mm-hmm. And what I think that you're an early adopter of the long form interview too, which I think when you started, not, I, I even, even in the podcast realm, they don't, they don't always go uncapped for hours. I mean, you and Joe Rogan, and I can think of a couple of others, but other people had more formatted shows, even the early adopters of mm-hmm. podcasting. And so I think that the fact that you go deep, you're, you're willing to listen that long and give people the space to, to say whatever they have to say I mean that's that's amazing. So to be a part of this, I'm very grateful for it. Grateful for your friendship first and foremost.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, man. man. Thanks for that question. You're, and you're like long reads, long breath holds, and going deep. Back to free diving. It all goes back to free diving. <laughs> Thanks, John.
1: Thanks, and, Jonathan. And,
0: and you know your literary affectation for free diving.
1: Yes, I do have a, you know, who knows? I mean, I, <laughs> I, I try not to think about like the the kind of weird winding course of my career, but um, who knows where it'll lead, but yeah, it's are, been man. it's been a fun ride. All right, man.
0: Well, I think that concludes today's roll on. Yeah. How do you feel?
1: I feel good. I didn't even get to the hand-drawn map of the moon. Oh, that right, I that's to right. You have this book sitting here. Yeah, it's this right map. Of, I went to the Hammer Museum, which they have the best gift shop ever. And I found this 1940s, and someone who is a, an astronomer looking at the moon through a telescope in the 40s, drew these hand-drawn topographic maps of the moon, all their mm. craters and, um, and I'm sure this was, this was used you know, in, in planning for the, for the lunar exploration and all that. Right, so
0: that's pretty cool. Super cool. I like how you're sharing a book that no one else can get too.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a book, it's called <laughs> Map of the Moon <laughs> by H. Percy Wilkins. All right. Um, and we probably books. won't
0: link that in the show notes because it's probably not in print.
1: Yeah, no. Well, there. I think I'm I'm supposed to give an approval to this uh, edge of the unknown story like right right after we sign off, so that right. should be up.
0: Cool. Well, until we meet again, my friend, in two weeks. Always as always, super fun to chat with you. Yeah. And for anybody who's still listening, uh, a reminder: if you want to share your listener story with us leave us a voicemail at 805-421-0057. If you wanna enter to win uh, tickets to the Anvil premiere in Los Angeles, send us an email at giveaway at richroll.com. And uh, we'll see you back here in two weeks. Beautiful. Peace. Plants. Namaste.